What's up, guys? And thank you all for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I am your host, EJ Stewart. I know we weren't uh, here last week, so we didn't get to talk much about the uh, the tournament and, and, the, and the seating. We had a lot of stuff going on. We had, we had a special shoot that we did during the week that you guys will be seeing that video on YouTube soon. So that should be really exciting if you guys check that out. So because of some things. And then we had, of course, uh, some stuff with Heroes. You got the Snyder Cut coming out. We had... Um, you know, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which we have a video up on, on that as well. So we were a little distracted in terms of, uh, you know, producing content regards to sports this week. But we watched all the March Madness games. I took off several days to just watch all the games that happened uh, over the course of the weekend. So we got a lot to talk about in regards to the tournament and where we stand now heading into the Sweet 16 this upcoming weekend. And then some plenty of NBA headlines, trade deadlines a couple days away. We got two major injuries in just the past few days. Uh, that will have playoff implications potentially, so we'll talk about that as well. And the uh, the Deshaun Watson scandal continues to kind of uh, spiral. It feels like almost out of control now. Uh, what seemed like a story that I wasn't sure how much longevity it would have. We're now up to 16 accusers coming forward with allegations against Deshaun Watson of some kind of either sexual misconduct or even assault. So very serious uh, story there, and we'll talk on that at the end of the show. So plenty to get to on today's podcast. Back, uh, glad to be back talking sports. Joining me is my co-host Kendall Stewart. Kendall, I would ask you how your bracket is, but I think like the mo- like the rest of us, uh, we're not doing too well. We're not doing too well, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> glad to be here, EJ. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I lost three of my final four teams. Same. In this, in the first two, first weekend, uh, that might be the first time it's ever happened to me. I lost my first three Final Four weekends before, uh, before like two o'clock on, what was it Sunday? Yeah, which would have been Saturday if it was yeah. normal. Thing. Like I, first, I've never lost that many Final Four teams that fast. Of day three, that was yeah. I, I, I've never lost a fin- three Final Four teams that fast. I think ever. Um, but for you. I mean, obviously, EJ being the Gonzaga fan, he picked Gonzaga. Uh, and for me, being the Memphis fan, Memphis didn't have, wasn't in the tournament, so I couldn't pick Memphis. So, I went with, uh, of course, Alabama. No no reason uh, <laughs> other than that. I thought they were the best team. But they have looked well, both teams. So, uh, we do have that going for us. Although, in our family bracket, um, I think EJ's in a little bit of trouble because a lot of people pick Gonzaga. So... Yeah. yeah, from a strategy standpoint, you know. Yeah, was... once I'm down, if I'm down <laughs> heading into the final four, the eight, it's over because I can't catch up. I'm <laughs> yeah, so many, exactly. I'm losing so many teams. I'm, if I'm not leading, heading into the final four is a wrap. So uh, that, that's part of the strategy, man. You got to pick a team that no, you think no, unless unless you're right, unless you know Gonzaga's gonna win. I think. I mean, look, Gonzaga has been the un, most, the undefeated team, the most dominant team in 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 the country. So I didn't, and obviously it's a team I root for. So I had no qualms with picking the Zags. Uh, I, I wasn't gonna pick against if my team. If my team is undefeated and number one in the country, I'm not picking against them to win a national championship. This is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like you, might, I, you know, maybe when they are a four or five seed, I might say, okay, I'm not gonna go that far. But when you go this far, I'm like, yo, we, we, I gotta have faith they're gonna just take it home. I understand from a strategy standpoint for the brackets, it might not be the best considering other people will likely. Also going to lean towards the Zags, but I couldn't. I, I can't worry about that. My my hope was that these other teams that I, I I launched faith into would step up, but unfortunately, those teams being Illinois, Ohio State, and Texas, all of them flopping in spectacular fashion 
early in the tournament. So that's 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 kind of where I stand. The Texas and all, and we'll get to the game. The Texas and Ohio State ones are just the Texas one is is the most egregious, and I guess we'll talk about that soon. But I, like, I gotta, I couldn't believe but, they lost to Abilene Christian. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll definitely save time for Shaka Smart on that one. But um, did you see the video? It's a viral TikTok that's going around mm-hmm. of uh, my guy Brian Scalabrini, obviously Celtic legend. Uh, um, and you know, obviously the color analyst for the Boston Celtics right now. Uh, he got challenged to a game of one on one by some high school kid. Uh, at 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 a gym, um, and obviously, as you would expect, I, I'm sure most people would expect. Oh, I mean, Scalabrini at this age, he probably stinks, but he's an NBA player. He's an NBA player who's, <laughs> you know, not over fifty. So I mean, Scott Brini beat the kid eleven to zero, but it it, it was like he didn't beat him with it. I mean, it was complete domination. Like he's not like he was doing anything ridiculous, but he was just clearly like he made like this kid made Scott Brini look like Larry Bird. Like <laughs> I mean, it was crazy, but it just shows you the level. People want to rag on these NBA players, call them scrubs and this and that, but it shows you. I mean, this guy was widely considered the worst player in the NBA, you know, for a period, uh, and he. You know, it's clearly that much better than your average Joe. Yeah, like the worst player in, in, in the NBA will average 40 in your YMCA league, which is yeah. what everybody should always remember. Everybody should always note. I feel like people who played basketball at a high level understand, like, like understand that. You know, like, I, I again, I played in high school league where I saw some phenomenal players who did not make the NBA. Um, right. You know, phenomenal players. You know, you know Deron Lamb, <laughs> Sylvan Landsberg. You know, these guys were, you know, all conference, you know, <laughs> they're big time schools. Those guys are not in the NBA. They're playing in overseas somewhere, they're making money, they're doing their thing. But like those guys were incredible. So like think about Brian Scalabrini. You know how good he's gotta be to be in the NBA? So yeah, every time this story comes up where it's like, Oh, you know, you know, you can't do nothing, you can't it's like it's like that Cam Newton thing. We didn't get to talk about that Cam Newton thing with him in the in the high in the, in the high school kid. You know, well, where's that call, kid now? Call him a free agent. Cam's not a free agent. I know, yeah. That's what, I think that's the first thing I texted. I, I, I tweeted when um he got signed. I, I tweeted that morning. I was like, "Well, I guess he's not a free agent now," <laughs> which was such a bizarre. That was such a bizarre like attack. This because yeah. like free agency didn't start it. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I'm saying? So even from like a football well, standpoint, like, I get it from the kids' perspective because the kids thinking like, I mean, like we all thought. Like you, you looked at the math on where the quarterbacks were. It was like I don't know if there's a spot for Cam. Like, is he even gonna be in the league next year? Like that was the fear. No one thought New England was going to bring him back. And so I think that kid was thinking, oh, you're a free agent. Like, you ain't even going to be in the league next year. <laughs> but, I mean, clearly he was wrong. I mean, I get that. But, again, you got you can't cut, count your chickens before they hatch when, you're, yeah, uh, when you're, you're launching this kind of flagrant disrespect at someone who's invited you to your football camp, to his football camp. And as you know, a Heisman Trophy winner, former NFL MVP. Like, like at least get your facts straight and make sure all your ducks are, are aligned. Because Cam was signed pretty much the moment – they were signing people. <laughs> Is Cam Newton gonna make the Hall of Fame? <clears throat> He's um, I mean, the prime. No, no, I don't think so. Damn, that's tough. You know, it's funny though. You say that, but I have another question for you. And I think I asked this to Andrea because I watched the uh, I Am Athlete interview with Cam Newton, which was great. I Am Athlete is just a great show. Uh, shout yeah, out to that's the one with, with Chad Ochocinco. Yeah, and yeah. Shout Brandon out to Chad Ochocinco. I watched uh, the one. Shout out to Brandon Marshall. And that was interesting. Yeah, shout out to uh, 
Yeah, I, that was actually one of the episodes I watched. Uh, I think yeah. that Cam was on that one. Well, they had, yeah, he, they, had, he, they might have talked to him multiple times. I don't know. I know on the one yeah. where Cam was on, he talked about because they both went to Florida. Yeah, Fred but, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, but shout out to Fred Taylor. Shout out to uh, Channing Crowder. I know a lot of Gators. I'm not too crazy about that. But but uh, <laughs> but no, nah, they do a great show on YouTube. Um, really awesome. I encourage anybody to check it out. And they don't only just touch on I think Dwayne Wade's on this week to talk about LGBTQ issues. Um, they don't only talk about, like, uh, athletes sometimes they, they they do some subject to talk about specific issues so like one time they'll have I am woman I think they had, they had females on there one time and this one is related to LGBTQ issues and then they had one that's I am black which they kind of do regularly every couple episodes where it's just more just totally on just like black issues so it's a really dope show I don't usually plug other people's stuff um, but when I, I see awesome content I think that it's important we share it so Shout out to them, and you got you all. You should go check it out. They come on YouTube. I think every Tuesday and Wednesday they come out with a new episode. But <clears throat> on that episode, uh, what was my point? I, was trying, I got so somebody with the whole thing. Oh, so um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I found like Joe Button, forgetting what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, they were talking about Cam, and like one of them kind of flippantly kind of talked about Cam's, uh, you know, his career and just how much of a uh, of a trendsetter he was, and. How one of them used the word icon, but that thought was interesting. Then I asked my girlfriend Andrea because I felt like whenever you're talking to, talking about anybody being an icon, you have to talk to people who maybe aren't completely immersed in sports to get their thoughts on like whether or not this person is an icon. So I asked my girlfriend Andrea. I said, Andrea, do you think Cam Newton's an icon? She pondered it for like five seconds. She was like, Yeah, I think so. She was like, He's really like he was been, he was really flamboyant, um, really recognizable. And by, you know, you guys' accounts, like, there really hasn't, there really isn't anyone like him. And I was like, I agree. I think he is an icon. Maybe not a Hall of Famer, but you don't got to be necessarily a Hall of Famer to be an icon. Mike Vick is an icon. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting. But do you think, do you think Ken Newton is an icon, though? That's, that's, that's what I was going getting to. Um, do I think Ken Newton's an icon? I mean, in the in the lens of sports, I would certainly say so. Uh, right. I don't think he was a I don't think he's a figure that transcends sport necessarily. But um, if you're talking about athletes, um, then yeah, I yes, would say yes, so. particularly in sports, yes, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so I too. So. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like his his MVP season, I felt like was just it kind of almost reminds me it's not the same because this guy is like this guy is a culture icon, but what he his MVP season did feel a little bit like Iverson's MVP season for me, in like the NBA, right. where it just felt like this guy is just like so like just on another level in terms of just like the people he's bringing into the sport and like just and his he was and everything about it. Like, I mean, he's one of the few players in football that I mean, Under Armour gave him his own shoe, like yeah, you know, Patrick Mahomes Adidas hasn't given Patrick Mahomes his own shoe. You know, did, I don't know. Uh-oh. Didn't even give Brady his own shoe, right? They have the same I, label. Brady might have his own shoe. Okay. I mean, I don't think anybody's rocking it, but they didn't, they didn't promote <laughs> it like the same way. Obviously, they were ruining cams. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's very. I, very I had a lot of jokes to. I had a lot of jokes ready for the Brady one, but I'm just gonna let them. <laughs> then none of them are appropriate. So I'm just gonna let them all slide. Yo, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the very few. I mean, again, Vic was another one that had his own shoe, but like very few guys uh, in football get their own get their own signature shoe, and uh, Cam was one of them. Yeah, so, 
know. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it was in the lens of sports. We'll see what happens with this season in New England. I I don't know if the door is closed yet. I, I mean, obviously I mean, they've yeah. they've spent yeah. a lot of money to give him as much a chance as they possibly could. <laughs> so I'm not so. saying that they're still a great team. Like uh, some people, I think, are kind of going crazy over some of these signs. I'm like, relax. Oh, <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. Like, yo, well, uh, when they signed Nelson Aguilar, people were like, oh, the AFC East is on notice. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, the guy, that the, guy, the, the guy that the dude from Philly was talking about, he was dropping, he didn't want to drop babies like Aguilar, that guy? You know, I mean, he was decent in, in, in Vegas last year, but let's 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 calm down. And they but paid any, him anytime, like, but there's some teams, Kendall, though, where, like, it seems there's some franchises where whenever any certain franchise gets some guys, they just overrate them. Like, remember when they got, uh, when they got uh, Josh Gordon, and I was 100% right on this show. Remember I, I said on this podcast, I was like, this is, he's not that good. This is, people are going crazy. This is ridiculous. The guy hasn't played in three years. And Spurs, guess who was right? Spurs factor. Is that, it is the Spurs factor. There's certain teams where it's like things happen. You just think, oh, it's going to go work out well because like, you know, one out of three times it works out tremendously. And that's true for the Spurs and for the Lake, for the Lakers and for the Patriots, you know, and certain teams, you know, but that sometimes, like, it, it, sometimes the guys are who they are, you know. So I, I'm not like just 100% sold that like all these moves are gonna work out great. I remember when they signed again, like, you know, a Dalius Thomas, how that worked out, you know, even the two tight ends. You know, I, I like John Smith and I like Hunter Henry, but I don't look at either one of them as like, I mean, people are already comparing it to Gronk and, and Aaron yes, Hernandez. That's nuts. I mean, those are, I mean, obviously, those are two all-pro talents. Yeah. Gronk, a Hall of Famer, and Hernandez, perennial pro bowler. Yeah. I mean, it's tough for me to, you know, John o. Smith and Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry's obviously a guy still with injuries. Um, He's been very good when he's healthy. And John o. Smith has been a one-year wonder. He had a very good year in Tennessee last year, but, you know. And they're, they're paying them to be, you know, two top, tight, top yeah. tight ends in the league. So, I, not again, not, not to say that, you know, they, they won't be – competitive but yeah i mean look they were awful this year so yeah. you know it's and not one of the big fun. issues yeah one of the big issues was they didn't have enough athleticism you know on the outside or, or any or you know running routes for them so they put two high level athletes not on the outside but at least they're at tight end they're gonna be in the slot that should that should help a lot and i'm a jets fan so i can't say I'm, i can never say i'm rooting for the patriots but you know it's hard to root against cam so I think he should have a better chance. I don't know necessarily what they've done though. It's like, oh, the, the Patriots are back next year. Uh, I'm not sure about all that. Um, but let's, we'll let's see get drafts. Yeah, we'll see. And look, we we telling all this stuff about Cam, and I mean, Cam. I'm sure he'll be the starter. But I mean, I watched this, you know NFL Live today, and you know Mel Kiper making the case for why they're going to draft Mac Jones. Who said they didn't make all these moves so Mac Jones can come in? Daniel Jeremiah and, said that he heard they really like Justin Fields. So who's they don't go after Justin Fields? Who they don't move up for him? Who's say that Cam isn't Rob supposed to be just like who's say so. that Cam is not supposed to be you know the Tyrod Taylor you know play two three games and then you know get the, <laughs> the, the Edward Scissors, Edward Scissors hands on the on the on, on the injections and then he's out you know Cam on <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's to say that doesn't happen like it's very possible um but yeah be, there's plenty of there's a lot of NFL stuff that. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll get to because there's been a bunch of signings. But we'll be talking playing NFL again. There's a uh, a big NFL project that we're putting on YouTube very soon, so that will be up um, within the next couple of days. So so you'll be able to hear a lot of NFL talk on that as well. 
So make sure you check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. But let's, let's get back to March Madness, which is what has, has brought us here for today, along with the other top stories. So obviously this was a a really good weekend. Um, I thought this was really... I wasn't sure. I felt like the first, you know... Uh, the, the first few hours was like, okay. Um, but then, you know, Oral Roberts got the big win. And then the night games happened on uh, on Friday. And things start to really pick up. And, and by the time we got to uh, Saturday and Sunday, I mean, things really picked up um, in terms of upsets and surprises. So I think, Kendall, I want to begin with uh, the upsets. Because obviously that's what kind of makes March March. Um, that's, that's what kind of makes the tournament tick. And we come into this tournament, Kendall, with now pretty much uh, a whole bunch of double-digit or low-digit teams, and then your teams that kind of expected to be there. You know, then that's kind of that kind of creates kind of an interesting predicament because you got UCLA, 11 seed, had to play in a playing game, had to come back after being down double-digit in overtime. Um, you had to you had a team like Loyola Chicago, a seed, who. Everybody's going crazy about them being underseeded. I mean, when you look at their resume, I don't think that they were that underseeded. I think people are, are tripping. Are they a good team? Hell yeah, they're a good team. But like, to me, like playing in that conference, uh, you lost one game to Drake. Uh, they lost on lost to some other terrible team in the conference. Drake, right? Yeah, yeah, Valparaiso. They got beat by like fifteen points. Like, like fam, they're a good team. But like, and they lost to Wisconsin, who's out of the tournament uh, after only one win. So like they're like people are like, oh they should have been a four seed. I'm like, I don't see that. I see you know, could they have been a five seed, definitely, or a six seed? Yeah. But I don't I don't think this eight seed thing was like so egregious. But anyway, um it doesn't matter. All the none of that stuff matters because they here they are and, and they're they're playing some great ball. Uh all Roberts just being just the absolute darlings of this tournament right now, a seventeen seed. I mean a fifteen seed. And you want to talk about under seeding, I think they were under seeded. Um, you got the, the the leading scorer in the country, like, and they only give you a 15 seed. I'm looking at some of these 14s and 13s that they put in, and it looks a little suspect to me. Uh, they're a 15 seed after, you know, monster wins against Ohio State and Florida. I know it's kind of ironic. I feel like Ohio State and Florida being bounced early just feels right, <laughs> even those two teams' history sometimes. Um, Oregon uh, beating up on Iowa after not playing the first game, which I thought was pretty egregious uh, uh, mishap by the NCAA. And, and not securing a real bubble, not allowing VCU the chance to play with, with all the COVID situations they had. Um, so it's a it's it's it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of a lot of a lot of these underrated teams that nobody really expected to be here. Syracuse, I can't forget Syracuse in uh, their run. You know, obviously Buddy Beheim, you know, just shooting the lights out. The 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 uh, the two three zone that they play, continuing to kind of be this like kind of a Rubik's cube. Of, uh, of 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 college basketball at this time of year, and and both uh, West Virginia and definitely San Diego State really struggled with it. So staying with you know kind of these under heralded teams, Kendall, and you can even throw USC in there. Six seed just pummeled Kansas last night, just a complete obliteration of of Bill South's squad last night. Of those teams, which one do you feel like is perhaps best equipped to make it all the way to the Final Four? Um, well, first of all, you know, you talk about these upsets that we've had and look, I mean, I think the upsets have been terrific for the first couple of rounds in terms of like, 
just being exciting to watch and um, just being great for college basketball and, and it being newsworthy. But on the flip side, you know, it, I will say I am, I, I guess I'll be the college basketball fan. It's like, I don't know if it's ideal to have, you know, I don't know, Loyola facing Oregon State in the Sweet 16. Um, no disrespect to Oregon State. No disrespect to Loyola, Chicago. Um, you yeah, know, it's and kind of not that one of those teams is going to be in the Elite Eight. Going to be in the Elite Eight, <laughs> and you know, I mean, the whole Midwest region is just like a whole. Right? I mean, yeah, you take it's a whole like ordeal. Upper is not choked against Houston, and Houston not hit a lot of big shots. I mean, it have to be the luckiest team in the history of college basketball. <laughs> um, had they not hit a lot, of, they had not Except hit a lot the of shots. Not Memphis fan. There you go. Um, it, I mean, it'd be Rutgers versus Syracuse for the spot in the other in the other half of that bracket in the Elite Eight. So, um, like, I don't think that stuff is necessarily great for college basketball. You know, I think what would have been great would have been would have been you know Kate Cunningham versus Iowa Desumu in the Sweet right. Fifteen. But yeah, that's what we all uh, wanted. Yeah, exactly. And look, you know, I mean, those guys didn't come to they didn't come to play. You know, no, like, or they did they, not. And Loyola came to play, and so they deserve that spot. Um, but you know, some of that is—it's the give and take. You know, I, I, I mean, I loved seeing those teams win. It was fun to watch. You know, Cameron Crutwig and you know, watching Ethan Thompson at Oregon State—you know—ball yeah. out. But yeah, I don't know if I necessarily want to see them play each other. So yeah, I mean, that's the that that is uh, you know one half of that um, of, of that argument, but. In terms of the the team that I think is most equipped, um, look, I think it's loyal, and that's uh, one. I mean, look, they are a very good team. You know, obviously Ken Palm. You know, coming into the tournament, they ranked nine, yeah. um, and you know, I mean that they they obviously you know the the level of competition that they've played all year hasn't been um, you know to the level of some of these other teams, but. When you have guys that have been to the Final Four, guys that have played with guys that have been to the Final Four, um, and a coach who's been to the Final Four very recently, uh, they're not they don't operate like a normal mid major program. Mm-hmm. And I mean Porter Moser clearly, you know, has in these first two rounds shown himself to be one of the best X and O's guys in college basketball. So one hundred percent. Um you know, but at the same time, Wayne Tinkle has coached coached uh, his team. Yo, his shout team. out to Wayne Tinkle, man. Yeah, because he's the guy. I, that, what were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say I, I you know, organization. You know, it, it's when you watch college basketball, it's impossible to watch everybody. Um, and I didn't watch any Oregon State before the Pac-12 tournament. But you know, late nights, you're trying to find out what's on, and the Pac-12 tournament was on. It seemed like they played two straight, like late nights, two or three straight. And so I got to watch. Their semifinal and final in the, in the Pac-12 tournament. I might have watched some of their quarterfinal too, actually. But didn't they beat like USC? I think in the quarterfinal. Um, and, and then, uh, and then you watch the first two games of the tournament. They are a very well coached team. When you watch them play, like I can see why they weren't that great because like they're not that offensively high powered. But I am a little surprised they weren't better in the regular season because they don't really turn the ball over. They play great defense, and they they just don't beat themselves. 
Like, so much of, like, that felt like their first two games, the other team was beating themselves. <laughs> Oklahoma State and Tennessee, you know, I think they both showed their age in those games. I just felt like they were games where those teams didn't seem to know how to run good offense against them. Uh, and Oregon State consistently ran their stuff and got good shots. And they asked some guys playing well. Again, Ethan Thomas, Tom Thompson is a uh, is a is a highly decorated uh, player for Oregon State, one of the best they've ever had. And I love I love when those kind of kids get this run. You know what I'm saying? Because how many of those kids go to Oregon State, never make a tournament, and we like they, yeah they put up numbers and, and maybe the Oregon State fans and Corvallis remember them, but nobody in college basketball remembers them. Like I did it now. Ethan Thompson has this, and we all remember him. I I, I love that because this guy's had a great career. Yeah, and now he's ending it's, his career on the highest. Uh, yeah, high I was going to say that like Wayne Tinkle was. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that you know. I mean, when he got to Oregon State from Montana. You know, one of the big appeals was that his son, Trace Tinkle, was a huge recruit. And he went to Oregon State uh, and had a great career. You know, was floated around, you know, and he had a two-way contract at one point last season. Uh, but uh, when he, when his son left, I think a lot of people kind of felt like, all right, you know, they didn't, they didn't their window to be competitive was uh, when Trace Tinkle was there. Once he graduated, it was like, I mean... I don't know how it was kind of you kind of counting down until you know they they hired Gary Payton or somebody yeah. to be to be the coach and, and uh, I mean he's done an excellent job you know kind of coaching up this team it's similar to how look we look at Fran McCaffrey at Iowa uh, who had obviously a really tough uh, performance against Oregon yeah, yeah we'll get to the and, later you know I think we understand that you know his his timeline you know kind of felt like. This was his window to compete with Luka Garza. Oh, I feel like, again, we'll get to Big Ten soon, but I feel like uh, Underwood and McCaffrey, this was a gut punch to go out the way they did. For really where those was. programs are and what the future holds, it just felt like they had to cash in on these rosters. And the idea that they did not at all. We'll, like, we'll get to Big Ten, but I, I think it could be devastating potentially. You know, McCaffrey, you know, his sons are still there. And, you know, we'll see if Joe Wieskamp enters the draft or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, and Underwood's, you know, obviously they'll probably lose Io and Kofi. But, you know, you, you have your windows typically. And yeah. it, was the same for, uh, it was the same for Oregon State. But, you know, they had a magical run. And they were kind of the opposite of Georgetown. I think people looked at Oregon State and Georgetown and said one of those teams, uh, both of those teams obviously had a similar circumstance. Uh, and one of those teams was very dangerous, and one of those teams wasn't. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah Georgetown got all the Georgetown got all the buzz, but I think because they just played so out of their mind in the Big East tournament. But I, I feel like having watched both of those teams, I I felt like I didn't pick Houston to win any game. To be fair, but I did feel like Oregon State was probably more plausible because. I just felt like what they did in the Pac-12 tournament could carry over. I didn't see Georgetown being that offensively sound and like against a good team, a really good team with like all the chips on the table. I couldn't see that. And it was so ironic because they faced Colorado team that Oregon State who, just beat. Yeah, who just so I think that's why so many people were so ripe to pick that upset, saying, "Oh, I mean, Colorado just lost to Oregon State." So I mean, Georgetown, who just blew out Creighton, who's a five seed, 
And it's like they say <laughs> that, but it's like, yeah, but also Kyra just beat Oregon, who's down to Sweet 16. So <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. like, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to play that game, especially because matchups, you know, styles make fights and matchups are matchups. And watching that, I watched that whole Colorado game, and, like, they, they did to Colorado what they've done to the last two teams. They kept them in the half court. They made them play, you know, half court basketball. And they've been very efficient in running their stuff, and they shot the ball better than they did in the regular season. They have good shooters, but they didn't always shoot this well. And these guys are, you know, shooting the ball, not like out of this world, but shooting the ball consistently well. And, you know, they play Tennessee and Oklahoma State, who play terrible games. Um, it would, now, Oregon State deserves a lot of credit for that. But with the way they play defense and the way they run their stuff and don't beat themselves, they shoot the ball like that, and the other team plays that terribly, they're going to win. Now, I felt like Georgetown, like, they needed, like, the other team to play terribly, and then for them to play great, which would happen, I thought, twice against uh, Villanova against Creighton, who I think Creighton wasn't at all in the mindset to win that kind of game. And so I think that's kind of, some, in some ways, a little bit of the difference. And I think the opposite difference is that, again, one team had a legitimate super, uh, a quality possible superstar, I think you could say, with Ethan Thompson. Georgetown didn't have a guy that good. So that that's a, a major difference as well. Um, when it comes to, sorry, what are you going to say? No, no, no. I'll let you go. I was going to say, I mean, when it comes to me in terms of like the, the teams that I think are most dangerous it's so weird because i think that you know when you look at how usc and oregon have played i mean you've got to be intrigued because they both looked so dominant obviously oregon did get a chance to play vcu and i really would have loved to see that game i think that would have been a really fun game really high scoring game i think oregon probably would have won because they're really talented but it sucks that we they we didn't get to see them actually try to win that kind of game um but they just they just pummeled Iowa, who just could not guard them. Iowa had trouble defensively all year, and they had a lot of problems with Oregon spreading them out, getting out on the break. Um, just the athleticism, speed, and skill combination was just too much. And like I said, USC, you know, too much athleticism for Drake and too much size for Drake. And then again, the Kansas game, I mean, they just beat them in almost any aspect of like how you could beat a team. Uh, just complete uh, uh, you know annihilation. Those teams look really good right now. The problem is on the other side, possibly lingers Gonzaga. So as good as those teams are playing, you still got to think, okay. But do I think that one they're gonna? Because I think they're clearly both playing the best ball of the year. Are they gonna continue to play their best ball of the year? Because that's what's gonna take to beat Gonzaga. And even if they do play their best, if Gonzaga plays their best, do I really think they're gonna win that game? So that's where it becomes kind of tricky. I think that those two teams, in theory, in a vacuum, we would say have the most highest ceiling. And to be fair, maybe they should. They're six and sevens. Uh, but nonetheless, it is still surprising that they're here. But that Gonzaga matchup that looms is, is quite dangerous. Uh, I hate to say it because, you know, I'll be honest, Jim Beheim and how he's acted in the media the last few years is not made a fan of me. But Syracuse and then the media people who have now just been running laps, victory laps all weekend how Syracuse is playing doesn't make it any easier. But I, I got to tell you, man, I think Syracuse, it looks like another one of those random Final Four runs to me. I, I mean, it, that's just what it looks like. I can't believe it because, again, you watch Syracuse play this year. You know, I know Bay, Bayheim had a nice had a nice shot at, you know, the guys, whoever said that, you know, their guards were like YMCA guards. Uh them guys, them guys can play in this tournament, you know. And, and I, and I, I, like, while it was a, a crazy slight, like, I kind of get how a scout could think that, considering they're not, they're not as athletic, not as um, dynamic as the guards they've had in the past. 
but uh, but but Gerard is playing good ball, and Buddy Beheim is just he's one of the best players left in the tournament. And sometimes you get into these games, a lot of times it becomes you know who has the best players left, uh, and we got Buddy shooting the ball the way he is, and again that Rubik's cube of that zone, and it's so weird to watch teams in the ACC who are more comfortable with it and know kind of what they expect have success. And then every time you come into the tournament and these teams who just don't see that zone, who don't prepare for it, aren't used to it, after, you know, the coaches who don't coach it every year, and they're just not ready for it. You know, San Diego State just had no chance from the beginning. Um, and then, you know, West Virginia, it took them a half. You know, like, like I, I, think they, I think they played another five minutes. West Virginia probably wins the game. But they didn't have five minutes. They played a whole half of terrible basketball. And by the time they finally started to figure it out, it was too late. Like, now you're in a nip-and-tuck game where you, they, they were able to make it close. I think they cut it to one at one point. They might have took the lead at one point. But, you know, now it's, you know, 50-50. It's, you know, who makes more shots late, who misses free throws, who makes free throws. And, you know, the coin flip landed on Syracuse's side that day. And the, the effort it takes to make that comeback also, you know, uh, you know, drains your energy. And, you know, they were pressing. They were doing all crazy stuff trying to get back in that game. It was a great basketball game. I think might have been my favorite game of the weekend. Uh Syracuse and West Virginia. That just was just good old school like ball to me, and good like strategy between two elite, you know, Hall of Fame. Bob Huggins, by the way, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Shout out to him for nine wins, Hall of Fame caliber coaches. But Syracuse right now, I think that's the squad. You look at how Houston looked, um, very suspect against Rutgers. Rutgers just, you know, that their experience showed to me in their game. I know they're they're a team that actually has a lot of upperclassmen. But not playing in like tournament kind of games, a coach not coaching in those kind of games. I thought it showed because they had that game one, and they, they kind of got they fell in love with the fact that Jerome was playing hurt, and they just said, "Okay, let's just get him in switches and just try to go one on one." They weren't running any offense, and like you try that a couple of times, it doesn't work, and you know you do that two or three too many, two, two or three times too many. Now all of a sudden you're down that a ten point lead becomes a four point lead, and you're like, "Well, what just happened?" It's like, "Well, three times in a row." You tried the same thing and didn't run any plays, and they scored every other time down. So Houston, we've don't seen them the play with the cat. They're like a cat with nine lives. We've seen them play with fire. They, I don't think they can play like that and beat Syracuse. I think there's no way if they come out and they don't know what they're doing and they give up a big lead, playing against that zone and think you're just going to come back. Sometimes say, like, oh, they're playing the zone, you'll get open shots. Syracuse does not give you open threes. I like it's their zone is unlike any other zone. So, yeah, it's going to really – look, I mean, you know, the key for Houston, their point guard, Marcus Sasser, shot the ball terribly. Yes, uh, usually a shot maker. Um, but, you know, Quentin Grimes uh, obviously, you know, has deep, deep range. Yeah, he's uh, You know, so that's going to be – I mean, if there's anybody – you know, left in the tournament that could be that kind of zone buster. It might be Quentin Grimes at this point. And, um, but really it's going to come down to what Marcus Sasser, how he's shooting the ball because, um, he struggled mightily against Rutgers, he struggled mightily, you know, uh, in the two games against Memphis. Uh, so that's going to be, that, that's going to be a big, uh, big deal for that team. And Jerome is not really going to, he's not going to space the floor for you. So, uh, he's gonna have to operate a lot in the middle of that zone, but yeah, I don't know. Um, what do we what do we make What do we make of of Oral Roberts? Oh, this matchup Oral against Roberts. Arkansas. Oh man, it's not a great matchup. 
but it's not. Yeah, it's not a great matchup. Um, you know, the two teams they've played so far, uh, not very deep. Um, Ohio State playing without Kyle Young. Uh, Florida, obviously, no Keontae Johnson. Um, but, it, I mean, look, once you get to this point and you have a team like that, like this Oral Roberts team clearly isn't a, your normal 15 team. I mean, that's been established. You've got two players that I think, like, maybe not NBA potential, but like high level European, high level Europe. Yeah, they got uh, two pros. They got two pros in their team. Yeah, they got two professional basketball players. They might not got nobody else that will even sniff playing pro. And the very two. rare mid majors, not even mid majors, small major, like pro big. I mean, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> don't grow on trees, man. I mean, like you always see every year, like so many teams have a good guard. And Max A. Smith is not the. He's not the last. He's not the first one we've ever seen on a 14 or a 15 seed that's ever been a high level guard. But um, it's rare you get it's rare you get uh, forwards and bigs at this level that that also have pro potential. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, what's so impressive about them though, Kendall, is and especially what's been impressive with these wins they've had is Aceves and Abner. Just they don't leave the court. They play like all yeah. 40 minutes. And yeah. they were down in those games. You think, okay, they're going to wear down at some point. And they came from behind late in the game. Like, I don't know where these guys are getting this energy. I, I, I mean, they, they – I've been so impressed just with their stamina and their endurance. I mean, not only are you playing against these, you know, these monsters on the other side where they know, all right, it's a two-man team. We got to stop these two guys. And they're doing everything they can to stop them. And they're playing every minute of the game. And they're finding a way still to pull these out. Like, I, that's been super impressive. You know, one, two things about Oral Roberts that makes them dangerous is they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. They make 11 threes a game, which I think is, is in like the top five or ten in the country. And they're an excellent free-throw shooting team. So when games get late and you got a foul or guys are getting fouled during the bonus, they were making free throws in all, both of those games. So those are two – like. Like it, it, when you look at some of these things, you're thinking in a recipe like, man, this is not a normal. This is not a normal 15 seed. You don't have 15 seeds that are have like tied for like the most three pointers, shoot excellent from the free throw line, and have two pros. That that's just that's just never. Ha- I don't know if that's ever happened before. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and and but like but so that's why it's weird with this Arkansas team, who's super athletic, um, super skilled, but even. Even with all that said, and we saw in their first game they got out slow. Second game played much more. I think they played a much more steady game, but they had moments where Texas Tech was giving them a lot of problems. Sometimes you wonder, like, is like is these is these tight moments they're having in these games? Is it just like a team learning resilience, or is it more? Like Arkansas won these games, and they won well, they won them both kind of handily. Uh, well. Uh, not handily Texas Tech. The Texas Tech came down to the wire. But they won the first game handily. And they were controlling a lot of the Texas Tech game. But Texas Tech kind of stayed around way more comfortably than I think they probably would have preferred. Uh, you wonder if, like, this is a team that's that's learned from these kind of close games. And a team that, you know, doesn't have a roster that's used to playing deep into the tournament. And will that carry over? Or are these signs for, of concern? Where a team like Oral maybe if they stay in the game, they'll, you know, again, there's a case to be made that, you know, Ace Smith and Abner may be the best players that Arkansas has played in the tournament so far. Like that, that's that's a very plausible case, at least the way they're playing right now. So yeah, 
so I, I think that's that's gonna be an interesting game because I, I would like to see Arkansas stay ahead, get ahead early, and just keep a ten point lead. I think if that game gets tight, their guard play. I don't like. I I, I didn't think it was very even. I thought they didn't get good shots consistently. Um, they can. They have a lot of again. They have a lot of firepower, and when they get going, they can really get going. Um, but when the game got tight in the half court, and Texas Tech got it there towards the end, it was tough. And, and look, we know like that's, that's going to be, be an interesting thing. With, with, with the problem is, I don't, I don't know how Oral Roberts guards them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we we've known for a while. Like that's always the recipe when you're trying to pull off an upset like that. Uh, we've seen it really with all these games. Like I mean, Oral Roberts wasn't blowing out Ohio State. They weren't blowing out Florida. No, they were it's losing both of those games. Yeah, <laughs> not letting the other team get away from you, and then. Late in the game, if you have guards that can make plays and you just you get into your offense and you get stops, you can win the game. And another yeah. team, and another team has they thought to play tight because they're like, man, yeah. we played thirty five minutes of decent basketball and we're only up five, <laughs> yeah. we're only up four or two, and now all the pressure is on them. Yeah, then it's about late game execution. So um, we saw that in the in the Texas Tech game. Texas Tech was a more talented team than Arkansas. Nope, but they just they were able to keep it close. And they got it to where, you know, it got it down to a, a last-second shot. A last right at the rim. And it's a win. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this Arkansas team, you know, it, they ran away from Colgate. Like, yeah. that, if that Colgate game would have gotten would have been close, like, who knows what would have happened. But they were able to run away from them. They did not impress me late in the game against that, against that Texas Tech team. But that old Texas Tech team is also a Elite defensive team. Uh, hell yeah, they're a hellacious defensive team. And we know all Roberts. All Roberts hasn't played that kind of defense in the games they won. So yeah. Arkansas is going to score, and we know they're a great scoring team. So I guess the Much question becomes: They're going to have to guard. Like if they yeah. if they guard even on an average level, they should win. And they're a great defensive team, so you think they should guard even better than that? But if they don't, Shout out. I don't know. Shout yeah. out who. Who we shot now? I was going to say, you, you mentioned in the, in the Syracuse joint. I was just going to go back to that. You mentioned, you know, our buddy Behan is one of the best players in the tournament. I was yep. like, shout out to, to Austin Reeves from Oklahoma. Oh. Put on over performance. He did. Against you know, yeah. didn't have the talent um, around him to, to, to win that game. But, you know, I mean, he did everything he could, you know, and not I having to. Ronaldo didn't help, but that was that was one of the more impressive. And I feel like you see that every year in one of the, in these tournaments where you have a player who like goes off against a great team. But like, oh, yeah, team, shout, out, shout out to Cameron Thomas. I mean, yeah, Thomas as well. Yeah, yeah what, what he did against Michigan, you know. Yeah, I mean these guys, these guys, I mean kids all around the country, man. These kids can play. Yeah, watching Reeves. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Real quickly about Reeves, I'm watching this game, and the announce team is like, you know, yeah, you know, he was at you know Wichita State. And he said that, you know, the coaching staff there, they just wanted him to be a shooter. They just wanted him to stand in the corner and shoot threes. And she was like, and the announcer's like, well, I mean, they did have Lady Shamit playing the one. And I guess, you know, he's a pretty good point guard, which is so crazy. Because now I think about it, it's like no NBA team has anywhere, has Shamit playing any kind of point guard for them. He's the guy that stands in the corner shooting threes. And you see Austin Reeves clearly much more better with the ball in his hands rather than just being a spot-up shooter. Like you gotta wonder what the hell is going on in Wichita State. Like, could Landry Shaman have been like a twenty-five point scorer playing off the ball if, if they let Reeves handle it? He definitely could have handled it, as we saw yesterday. Well, he definitely would have been fine. Too, uh, Marshall was too busy trying to run over students that were parking <laughs> yeah, the spot. Yeah, he was too busy <laughs> trying to square up. Jerome uh, <laughs> would say, 
Allegedly. <laughs> I'm but, just saying, uh, man. I, I I was like, uh, what was Greg Marshall doing over there? <laughs> I'm like, Shamit was playing the point and this guy was on the guard. It seems like it should have been the other way around. Anyway, um, one more thing quickly on the upsets. Uh we got I mean we gotta mention UCLA. It's the only team we didn't mention in this. Um Mick Cronin's gonna turn around. I just wanna make sure I say that. He's going to turn it around. And I I I I remember I was okay with this hire. I know you were not crazy nah, hire. Nah. Um I Cronin's gonna, he's gonna he's gonna turn around to UCLA. <laughs> he's gonna turn it around. Like because first of all, I know Cincinnati fans are sick. They're like, you mean to tell me with this roster, he got to the Sweet 16, and then we had all those rosters that we thought were Elite 8, Final 4 good, he couldn't get out of the first round? Like, you know they're sick. <laughs> you, know yeah. you know they're sick. You know they're like, are you kidding me? Like, you know how many times they thought that they were going to be deep run, they got bounced early, and he I mean, this is such these a guys. Stance, too. It's like, I mean, you ran into a bad, you ran into a mid-major, <laughs> you know, six seed. And then you ran into, you know, Abilene Christian. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, we say I mean, that, but he had to eat Michigan State to get here. So, like, yeah. that kind of clances it out for me. It's like, you, yeah. you're all right. We say, like, yeah, but then you had to be a blue blood, you know, who ha- who was not as good as they normally been. But they clearly, they were they had talent. I mean, they were beating, yeah. they were beating the hell out of UCLA in the first half, you know. Um, but, now Mick Crane is going to turn around because what I see from, from that team is a, a level of grit and toughness I just have not seen from them since – Early days, Ben Howland. Uh, they did not play with this, like, in, in the games against, in the game against Michigan State, I mean, that was just clear. I mean, that's just a game that they would have just folded in the past. And they just grinded and grinded and grinded, and they pulled it out. And BYU, like seeing them take the fight to BYU early and kind of just, just kind of just putting their throat on the neck immediately, being like, you're not winning this game. That, again, not the kind of thing I, I've seen from, Recent UCLA teams that have had more talent, they let yeah. those kind of teams hang yeah, around, or let those other teams kind of set the tempo. There's no setting the tempo. That BYU team. team is not a; they're a tough team, but no, they're good. They almost beat Gonzaga. Like UCLA looked like the tougher team, and years yeah. past that would not have been the case against that BYU team. But yeah, I, I just think it was funny that you pointed out how uh, the early it's got to be the early. You got to go back to the early Ben Howland years, not the uh, Shabazz Muhammad. Uh, Kyle Anderson. <laughs> no, 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 no. UCLA team. No, 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 no. Nothing about Lonzo Ball. No. This is that's the only way to describe this team. And and I saw someone. I don't know who it was. Someone said it on TV, and I think it's a great point. You know, the question becomes, you know, where a guy like Howland, excuse me, Cronin. Sometimes it's like okay, when when you when you have success at a mid major, it might have been Steve Lapis, who was phenomenal this weekend, by the way. One of my favorite announcers this weekend of all the games. And he wasn't even calling you so that. I think he was just commenting about them. But he was like, sometimes when you when you come from like a quote unquote mid major, Cincinnati's not really mid major, but you know, not a blue blood for sure. Uh, and you have great success. When you go to a place like UCLA, a blue blood that's very Hollywood, sometimes the question becomes this question that we asked, the question you asked when they hired him. You know, can you get those kind of guys to play the way you want them to play at that school? Like, are the guys that you're going to recruit, the guys that are going to be available, the guys that you should be going after, are those guys going to be able to play your brand of basketball? Guys are getting to Cincinnati, they're going to they're gonna be able to play the kind of brand of basketball he wanted to play. Can you do that at UCLA? And it's always a great question. It was a great question when Ben Holland got the job. It was like, how the hell is Ben Holland going to turn these guys who've been Hollywood, who asked Steve Lavin, who... You know, it was a very cool customer, you know, a really nice guy. You know, like, he's just very different than Ben Howland. How does he get these guys to play 
the way Pittsburgh was playing. And sure enough, they turned into West Coast Pitt. And the same thing with Cincinnati. It's like, okay, but like, how is he going to bring Cincinnati grit and the physicality to UCLA when the, the players you're recruiting, the players in your area are just not those kind of players? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. They're great. They're, they're in some ways more talented, but they're the just not the kind of guys that Cincinnati are getting. And can you Be get careful. them to play that way? And I like to see Juzang and Hakez like play with the kind of not only are they scoring, but to play with the kind of dog those guys are playing with right now. I said, okay, he's gonna figure this out because if he's doing it with these guys, and not to say those guys aren't very talented, but if he's look, with the totality of the roster, if he's doing it with that, when he gets his his real dogs in there, oh, it's gonna be a wrap. And it's funny because the analogy you brought up about like style of play. I mean, I think. You have to apply it a little bit to, you know, some of the concerns that I think we all had about Shaka Smart at Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people thought it was a home run, and I thought this could be good. But I remember at the time I said the one thing that Shaka Smart has to do, is he has to apply the same logic that he had at VCU and the same brand of basketball to what he what he's going to bring at Texas. And he hasn't done that. I feel like Texas hasn't played with the same tenacity that his teams played with at VCU. They haven't brought that havoc <laughs> that, he, that he talked about at VCU uh, to Texas. It was, really, it was really surreal to see Shaka's team become the hunted the way they were in that game against Abilene Christian. And to think yeah. about how I saw Shaka's teams do that to other people for so many years and yeah, to see a team do it to him. It was like, it was, it was just, it was like Twilight Zone to me. I'm like, I'm watching someone VCU shock and smart right now. They're not, they're not pressing, but the half court defense, it's, it's, it's not the same principles, but the result and the point is the same. It's to just make your life a living hell with hellacious defense. Shout out to Alvin Christian. I know their coach, he used to coach under, uh, under, uh, uh, beer at Texas, uh, Texas Tech. Um, yes. I don't know if he coached him at Texas Tech, but he 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 was under him. He's under his friends, team. yeah, yeah. So so he brought the Texas Tech defense, which is you know just kind of like havoc, but in the half court, um, to Abilene Christian. And this again to watch them do that Texas, I'm like, this is what I saw people do to VCU. Just make your life a living hell. You're not getting anything easy. They're out hustling you, outworking you, and it was it was crazy to see. I mean, that was to me the worst performance of any team in the first round because Texas was so much better than Abilene Christian in almost every aspect except turning the ball over. Better field goal percentage, better shooting percentage, out-rebounded them. They just could not handle the ball. (laughs) And they kept giving the ball away. And they kept turning it over, over and over and over again. And to think about that team with those veteran guards to look like that, it was, I, I could not believe it. I couldn't believe that they couldn't, scheme up better stuff to get easier shots when the game was tight late. I thought it was just a miserable performance by Shaka and a miserable performance by his kids. It's so weird because, like, so many of the conferences that we thought were just juggernauts, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, like, struggle. Tough, tough weekend. Tough weekend for the Big Ten. Um, I saw, shout out to, you know, shout out to Frank Isol. He made a point that I haven't seen a lot of people mention but he said, you know, something that you know was that happened in the NBA bubble is is there a chance that because all these games are being played in one city and 
it's pretty much neutral site. Though the Big Ten teams, you would argue, okay, with they're closer to where they're from, but it's not you traveling, you know, three thousand miles. Some of these places, some of these schools, traveling three thousand miles to play against a team that's playing, you know, has a twenty-minute bus ride, or you know, a, a, a you know, hour and a half plane ride to their destination, where they're gonna have way more fans than you, and all this stuff. These are games where there are not a lot of fans in there. Everybody's playing in the middle of America, so again, besides the Big Ten schools, really no one has that great an advantage, and all the the, the the capacity is capped. So it seemed like Purdue got in way more people than they probably should have. But besides Purdue, I don't know if anybody is getting more fans than anyone else. Like, it is so are those factors hurting some of these big these big these bigger schools and the Big Ten? They were the higher ranked, higher seeded team in almost all the games they played because they they gave they got a lot of respect from the committee. It was something that I didn't think about, and I did wonder um, if that has something to do with why we're seeing some of these uh, these teams play so well. He said in the NBA bubble, you saw younger players play much better about the attractions of the crowd, playing on the road, all things that come with that. We saw you know lower seeded teams in the playoffs make great runs. It was it was a it was a it was a, I thought a noteworthy point. So what you're saying is that Max A. Smith is basically Jamal Murray. <laughs> I guess he would. I guess that would that would that would be the apropos thing. I guess he really would be more like Tyler Hero because like they're like a, a low seed that's gone really far. I feel like I don't know who would be um, Jamal Murray. Like I guess uh, Buddy Bayheim. Yeah, I guess Buddy Bayheim would be like Murray. <laughs> um, I was thinking even a team that's like a little better, but like a guy who's playing great. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it was something that I was noteworthy. I mean, people were asking the question, you know, was the Big Ten overrated, um, or were you know did they a little not, bit, yeah, did not perform well? I mean, I I think that to me is clear. I look, I do think that there is something to beating each other up, um, and that being you know tough when you have some of these teams that didn't play perhaps maybe as hard schedules come in there about fresher and, and they, they just look better. But I do think that to me, the big 10 was slightly overrated because when you watch those games, those teams lost, they didn't lose. Cause they, they like, I, I don't, I didn't see them lose because they just didn't play anywhere close to their style of basketball, their brand of basketball. Like I saw those teams play like that all year at times. It just seemed to me that like their weaknesses got exposed. They were all very flawed, man. Yeah. Iowa is a bad defensive team. They've been a bad defensive team. They've been able to overcome that because their offense is so dominant. And in some games, when your offense is so dominant, it actually helps your defense because you're scoring the ball. Therefore, they got to take the ball out from underneath the basket. They got to bring it up the court against the set defense. So that helps your defense. And so, Iowa faced a basketball team that was just more athletic than them. Yeah, more athletic and almost and pretty much as skilled. So like if, they, if Iowa would have faced Loyola Chicago, I think they would have beat them. And I yeah. think Illinois would have faced Oregon. Oregon. They may have beat them. It's a better but, matchup. The matchups were just were not good yeah. for our team, and to me that that is a sense of being slightly overrated because yeah. you, we gave these teams these lofty seedings because we said they could overcome anything because they're very yeah. good. They couldn't. Illinois, for whatever reason, during the season, that's why they had six losses despite having the talent they had. They just had games where they just didn't play up to their talent. They almost lost it, to Ohio in like game. Yeah, two. and then the first second game of the season. And we know Ohio's not a slouch. They won a game in this tournament. But, <laughs> but that, that certainly means that they could lose to Loyola Chicago. Right. If they could almost lose Ohio, they could certainly lose to Loyola Chicago. You know what I'm saying? That's so, what people don't get about Oral Roberts. I There was an Oral Roberts game earlier this year that I watched 
where they played Oklahoma State. And they almost beat Oklahoma State. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't going to make me think that they were going to beat Ohio State. But, like, Oklahoma State, like, they, and also, like, obviously that Oklahoma State team in the non-conference is a lot different, we thought, than the, than the team that we that we saw right. in the season. But, like, those games matter. You know, yeah. and having those games and those, you know, taking into consideration, oh, this team almost beat Oklahoma State on the road, or if you're looking at Ohio, this team almost beat Illinois. Well, then when Oral Roberts is facing Ohio State, who may be the same thing as Oklahoma State on neutral site, and when Ohio is facing a Virginia team that had no rest or no no practice, um, then and they almost beat Illinois on the road, you got to take these things into consideration. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about how you play at your worst. You're trying to look at what's your ceiling. So, yeah, I mean, Oral Roberts in Ohio, they had some hellacious <laughs> conference losses where you're just like, what the hell? Um, but when you see them play that competitively against top-notch teams, it does give you the idea that, okay, the, if they get in that kind of game, they'll have a chance. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what I think we saw from those teams for a lot of this weekend. But, Ohio, but again, the Big Ten, again, flawed teams. Purdue, they didn't have dynamic guard play. Guess what? They played against a tech, North Texas team that had some dynamic guard play, and they lost that game. Um, so all these issues that these teams had, it just seemed like it wasn't like when you watched the games, it wasn't surprising that they lost because of how, because of how they were getting beat. It was just, oh, wow. They really couldn't overcome these issues that we saw. So I think that they were slightly overrated. I was part of that. I, I totally believed in the big 10 this year as a top notch conference. I think they were still a great conference, but you know, I mean, clearly we, we didn't give any respect to the Pac-12 who played phenomenal ball. And, you know, some of it, you know, okay, COVID related with Oregon and some of their issues and why, you know, maybe they wouldn't, they weren't a higher seed and didn't have uh, a better season. Um, but I mean, some of these teams, I mean, USC had a really good season and they were sit- seated sixth. You know, uh, you know, we saw, we saw about UCLA being just right on the precipice of, you know, the uh, being cut out of the tournament and they're in the Sweet 16. You know, Oregon State, I already talked about how impressed I was with them. In the tournament, in the Pac-12 tournament, I was like, wow, this team can play. I'm surprised they aren't, you know, better. They haven't been better in the regular season. But maybe they weren't better in the regular season. Maybe they were playing good teams, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so this week 16 is looking like the Pac-12 Invitational. We got we got a lot of uh, Pac-12 teams. Obviously, one of them's got to get knocked out because we got USC and Oregon in the Sweet 16. Um, so, you, so, you, so, Jack, so um, whatchamacallit, Bill Walton's Final Four is not going to. Yeah, it's gonna. Well, his final four is a final five. So uh, <laughs> uh, he had Colorado in there too, and they got bounced. Um, he has fourteen bucks, but two of them are in the same bracket because that's Bill Walton. So yeah, no, he will not have a correct final four this season. Though before last night, I was saying that he actually had a better bracket than most people <laughs> because all of his teams were still left, even yeah. though they were obviously how his bracket came out didn't make any sense. Um, do can the, do, watching the Zags this this run have do they look have they looked apart as a prohibitive favorites against Oklahoma against Norfolk State to you? Um, look, I mean the game against Oklahoma, they faced you know they faced a team that played really I thought played really well. Um, I did too. You know, and they could, they just didn't have the offensive firepower to hang with Gonzaga. 
Um, Creighton's going to be a tougher matchup, probably, but, you know, they're kind of similar to Oklahoma, I think, where I don't know. I mean, just I feel like they, they're at full strength. Um, the the difference for, for a lot of these teams in Gonzaga is that they can beat you inside and out. Very few teams in college basketball can do that yeah. um, at a consistent level. Um, you know, I, when you have a guy, I mean, it's not Jalen Suggs didn't play his best, and Corey Kispert didn't necessarily play his best. But they both had like fifteen and sixteen. <laughs> yeah, like they didn't play bad. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't they didn't dominate them. Not but at all. Yeah. When you have Drew Timmy, I mean, Drew Timmy is averaging like twenty nine points a game against Power Five competition this season. Mm. In like the five six games that they played, he's averaging twenty nine points a game. But like that shows you. You know, if you want to know what's the importance of Drew Timmy, you know, people talk about a lot about Kispert and they talk a lot about Suggs. But when when, you know, the game starts tightening up and the competition ratchets it up a little bit, uh Gonzaga knows who to get the ball to. And it's Drew yeah, Timmy. T- yeah, um, Timmy's a Timmy was a terminator against Oklahoma. Yeah, he's just an absolute bucket. Yeah. Uh, uh I mean <laughs> again, th- to me like he's Frank Kaminsky <laughs> from twenty fifteen. Maybe not the jump shooter that Frank Kaminsky was, but in the post, like he's Frank Kaminsky, mm-hmm. and like that's that's a dangerous. I mean, I, I mean that guy Frank Kaminsky was the best player in college basketball. Um, I think if Timmy was on a team that like needed him to be that kind of player, I think he could average twenty something points a game. I think he'd be mostly what mostly what Luka Garza was for Iowa. So, I mean, this team is incredibly deep, incredibly talented, um, but. On this, on the, at the same side, you know, I mean, this team is, I think they are beatable. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what kind of, what kind of, what kind of game Creighton plays uh, this week or uh, this weekend. But um, they're beatable. I don't know if it's coming from anybody in their region. The Alabama game, if they have, if they run into Alabama, is the one that I, I would circle mm. as a tough matchup for them. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, to me, Gonzaga has looked, they've looked apart to me. Uh, like, again, you have these games where, you know, Oklahoma plays well. You look at, the, you watch the game, you say, ah, Suggs and Kispert were okay. And you look at, okay, but what was the final score? And you hear, oh, they were down 8-8 eight, eight early in the game. Like, oh, man, what was the final score of that game? Uh, Gonzaga won by 16 points. And, like, it's weird when you're a fan of the team, as I am, I root for them. It's always weird because like you you see them at your best and like you always hear people talking about how dominant they are. You want to see them just smash everybody, and it's not it's just not going to happen that way. Like this does not this is never how the tournament goes for anybody. Um, but sometimes you got to put it in perspective. He's like you think about all that, but then you look at the score and like, well, they won by sixteen points, and the game was really never really in doubt in the second half. Like it's kind of like the BYU game where you know that was a little tighter, but like. They play as terrible as they can play, but at the end of the day, Zags by double digits. That's always how it's been. It's always how it's going to be, except for that one game against West Virginia. The Zags, they're just, their talent, their offensive firepower is just ridiculous. And I think what I'm impressed with them as well, and I knew this was going to happen, was, you know, it, it was becoming clear watching this season that the, the rotation was going to have to be tight in this tournament because they got a lot of young guys on the bench. Who are, who are going to be good players, but just are probably a year away. 
So you couldn't really throw them out there in these high-intensity games um, just because of just how good their teammates are. Like, could they play on another team? 100%. But their, their teammates are so good that putting them out there is almost like bringing the rest of the guys down. So what we saw in the last game was, you know, a few basically playing seven guys. But their their energy level and their uh, stamina and their endurance is so great, too. I mean, they played a t- uh, Oklahoma team that I think – I don't think it was smart, but I think they thought, let's try to just tire these guys out. Let's play really fast, play really up tempo, which is weird because they're down. They were they were uh, short short handed too. But I think they thought uh, the only chance is to wear these guys out and hope that you know they just get tired by the end. Gonzaga never gets tired. <laughs> they're never tired enough. They can they can score with anybody. They can score the in the first minute as effectively as they can score in the thirty seventh minute. It's just. It's just how it's been all season. So Creighton's going to be an interesting matchup because Creighton is, when they're playing right, a very good offensive team. Creighton, to me, is just very Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I think they've been Jekyll and Hyde in this tournament. Uh, You know, the UC Santa Barbara game, very much Mr. Hyde. Uh, I thought it was a, a really uneven performance. Um... In some ways, I think that they got outplayed, but they made shots when they had to. Uh, the guy had, you know, the guy, you know, had a layup at the end and just, uh, uh, just you know, blew it. But you know, in Ohio game, they looked way more stronger. The defense was really good, uh, and they started to flex their muscles way more offensively. I think, though, what would scare me if I'm a Creighton fan is I, I, I don't like those games when I got to. Can't play against a top, like an elite level team, as elite as it comes. And my first two tournament games were against Santa Barbara and Creighton. The 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 high level, the degree of difficulty that goes up when now your next game. And it's no disrespect to Santa Barbara and Creighton; they both had great seasons. And Ohio won a game. Santa Barbara maybe should have won a game, but now your next game is against Gonzaga. And the last time you played against any Power Five opponent, you got beat by thirty at the Garden. I, I don't know. Uh, I will say this. It does look like Creighton has rallied around um, McDermott in a way that I think if you're a Creighton fan, you feel good about in terms of just where their heads are. I think for a lot of people, we didn't know what their heads were going to be like for the rest of the season. It does feel like they've put that behind them. Yeah. that Again, because I was feeling the opposite coming out of the Big East tournament. I'm like, man, you know. You lose the Georgetown by fifty, and I have the question: Where their heads yeah, are at? Yeah, exactly. You Everyone have a did. very shaky performing as US, USC, uh, UCSB, and I have the question. But then you have you have a game where you um you play as well as they did against Ohio, and then again, like you said, it seems like they're all there. I mean, if there's any game for them to rally around their coach after what happened, it's this game against Gonzaga. Yeah, you can't have any any distractions. You gotta have a clear mind going into that basketball game, and we'll see what happens. But um, it's just gonna be tough. I just don't. I just don't think they have the firepower. But but we'll see. And they're a good offensive team. You're like they don't have the firepower. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they have the firepower against almost everybody else. Very similar. I mean, it's very similar to any upset formula. Like I said, this is. But they're a team that I think if this game is close in the last five minutes, we get to that last TV timeout and. It's a five-point game. Any team can win because at that point, Creighton's got the guard play yeah. um, and the shot-making ability to make this a ball game. 
It's just you got to play 35 minutes of good ball. Yeah. Like, like BYU in that West Coast Conference championship game got it to that point. But they didn't have the shot making and the guard play. Shout out to Alex Barcelo. But, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have a good second half. Yeah, you know, they got the they have the front court <laughs> with Harms and Caleb Loner and those guys to be able to get you to that point. But, you know, once, guess, once you, get, you need you need bucket getters late in those types of games, Creighton does have that. So um that'll be the that'll be the that'll be the question, though, can they get to that point? This is uh when we get to this point in the seat in the in the tournament, you know, last thing on this before we move on, I, I always like to look at coaching and who are the coaches left. And of course it's a player's tournament, it's a player's game. I don't wanna, you know, you know, poo poo the players. But when you get to this point, it's like, okay, now it's about really elite level coaching, elite level strategy. Cause these teams now, like Oral Roberts is not taking like well, trust me, Eric Musselman will be one hundred percent ready and prepared for Oral Roberts. There's no taking them for granted, not knowing what they like to do. I mean, there's now great footage of what they do against high level opponents that you can study for a week now. So that's I love that about this because now it becomes really about yes, it's about still players and and playing clutch and coming up big, but now the coaching really steps up because okay, now we've seen sixteen teams that have had great success in this tournament. Now that success is on tape, and now people get to watch it, and now people know what how you've approached this tournament, what you guys have been doing. Do you make adjustments? How does that change from week to week? This is where it gets. Elite, and I feel like this this group of coaches is very like eclectic. You have the guys that have been there for a long time in terms of going deep in tournaments. So you got your Fuse, your Bayheims, your Jay Wrights, who I think Villanova surprised people getting to this uh, this this point without Gillespie. Um, Andy Enfield's gotten to this point. Andy Enfield, I wanted to mention Andy Enfield. Andy Enfield has gotten to this point. You know, maybe he's not a familiar face per se. He only got there once, but he's been far in this tournament. Uh, Leonard Hamilton. Shout out to Leonard Hamilton getting to another Sweet 16. He's done a tremendous job at Florida State. But then you have, like, coaches that are in positions that I don't know what to expect from them in these spots. Uh, Greg McDermott, not that this might be only his second or third uh, Sweet 16 appearance. If that, uh, he, I don't know if it's his third. It might be only his second. Um, you know, Scott Drew's a familiar face, but, I mean, deep runs in the tournament have been Baylor's thing. And Baylor, shout out to them. They, they look great, and they really look like they're starting to settle in. And I still think that, I, I'll admit I kind of went off my Baylor tip and, and, and kind of didn't feel good about them how they ended the season. But once again, and now it's looking like we're headed to a battle of the Kaijus between Gonzaga and Baylor. But um, but Scott Drews has always has been a questionable coach for a lot of people in these kind of moments. Um, Eric Musselman and, uh, and Nate Oates, guys I respect a whole hell of a lot, but haven't necessarily done it at this level. Um, I forgot to mention of the experienced people, Kevin Sampson, of course, as well. Uh, who's been to the Final Four. And you got, you know, Moser, who's only been to the Final Four, but only been to the tournament uh, one other time. <laughs> and then you got these other guys, Tinkle and Cronin's in it with a new team, but it hasn't gone this far. Uh, and, of course, I, missed, I forgot Dana Altman, too. But um, it's just a weird group. And then you got Juwan Howard, who's done a tremendous job. Uh, and they had, I thought, one of the, I think they had the most impressive win, I thought, of the second round, to me. Um, I thought LSU played their best and i thought yeah. they played their best they were going to beat michigan and and the fact that michigan took their best punch and still won by 10 points or eight points i was thoroughly impressed with michigan and they it looks like they're maybe right in the ship and that's going to be a hellacious matchup against florida state 
So it's just a weird group of coaches. There is no Coach K. There is no Calipari. You do have Beheim, but Beheim is on the 11th seed. It's, I, I don't see a Papa Bear figure in this coaching tree here in terms of like guys who I say, okay, but this guy gets to a point with this team, he can't lose. I mean, yes, you maybe think that guy is few, but he's never won a national championship. Uh, so, like, it's, it's, I, I love this. I feel like we're going to see kind of new, new faces kind of become into that front, front, that, 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 uh, that forefront, you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it may be a Nate Oates, it may be a Musselman, um, you know, Moser may get there for a second time to the final four. Like, it, it just, I think it's going to be really fun. Well, however this all checks Man, out. if Porter Moser takes Loyola Chicago to a second final four, I mean, first of all, that's Brad Stevens like stuff. I mean, if we just be honest, they yeah, it is. We, had, we missed a year, and that'd be you know. And I would yeah. argue it's even better than Brad Stevens because I would argue that Loyal Chicago is not the program Butler is, and I'd also argue that Shortly, yeah. Brad Stevens doing it back to back was actually easier than what Porter Moses did. Okay, hot take, spicy take. I mean. I'll say it's easier because I'll say it's easier because you have the continuity of the roster and and the, the kids having the experience of knowing what it takes to get there. I know sometimes it's like yeah, but going back that's hard. I think in college basketball with a mid major, totally different. I'd much rather have a team that knows what they're doing to get to that tournament for a second year time in a row than four years later have a only one guy who yes he was a star on that first team, but only one guy and a whole bunch of other new mid major guys. It's not like. Loyal Chicago saw this recruiting bump after uh, after they went to the Final Four. All these guys they got are the same two star guys they were getting when they went to the Final Four the first time. And you do if he does it again, that is way more harder to me. Not even close. Man, like first of all, the Big East, the A10, the American Conference should all be trying to get Loyola Chicago <laughs> into their into their conference. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Loyola, especially Port Moser State, like, that's a better program than DePaul. But, yeah, um, like, it's it's just fascinating that, again, a program like that can make two Final Fours without that level of high-end talent. Um, yeah, it, to me, it'd be unprecedented. Like, I don't think, like, I know he's got to win two more games. I don't want to get the cart ahead of the barn. But, like, like I've never seen this before. Like early in like this program, he's been there for about ten years. But like, like you said, like the Brad Stevens thing was cool. But at the time, we knew Butler was a. I mean, they've had they've had they're very yeah they're a very good mid major program. They've been a very mid major program. That amount came from Butler. Todd Licklider at the time came from Butler. Like it wasn't like you know they weren't you know little sister of the poor. Yeah, (laughs) you know. not saying that Loyola is shout out to Sister Jean. Yeah, but, shout out to Sister Jean. Yes. <laughs> but um, overall, like this team, you know, this program is not, you know, before their Final Four run, where it's not a program anybody thought could ever challenge for really even a second weekend. You know, they kind of, the conference kind of got opened up only because, uh, what you call it, well, first, you know, the Horizon got opened up because Butler left, but then they went to the Missouri Valley, and now they're taking over that conference. And, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. It's it's extremely impressive. Um, I kind of hope he doesn't leave Loyola because I want to see. Too. You know, you know, you know why? I think it's because I'm a Gonzaga fan. Honestly, like I really, I really would love for another Gonzaga to come up. And honestly, I felt like Butler could have been that. You could argue maybe they almost kind of are 
because they did get to the Big East and like they are now a major program. But like, yeah, no, nah, that was uh, but they 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 made the jump and they've they've kind of went back into the pack, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Now they're just like just like they're like every other major team that's not a blue blood. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I would I would love to see like another Gonzaga come up. And I, I mean, to me, Porter Moser seems like he's very much like totally really ready to listen to like other offers, <laughs> other people <laughs> who may want him. So I don't think this is gonna last. But like. I I really hope it would. I would love to see him like turn Loyola Chicago into, and like you're in Chicago, so like, I mean, there's gonna be players for you to recruit. Yeah, like there are certain mid-major programs where it's like, man, you know, I mean, I could take Evansville to the Final Four one year, but good luck getting players in Indiana come to Evansville. Right, uh, it's kind of tough for Butler, you know. But even Butler's like they're in Indianapolis. They play at Hinkle Fieldhouse, so like you can maybe sell guys. Yeah, yeah. Butler, Butler, Brad Stevens was getting dudes. I mean, it, it, by the Gordon, end of his run, like Gordon Hayward was recruited by like Indiana. Yeah, Cody Zeller and he almost went there. Right. Kellen Dunham was a was a high four star prospect. Like they were, he was getting guys by the end. I think Loyola Chicago could be something similar if if he stays. I know, but, I agree. Yeah, I agree, and I and I would hope that like you know again, what needs to happen is what happened at Gonzaga, which is you need the 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 shoe company. I don't know. I think are they Adidas? I don't know who they are. Uh, Nike. Nike, okay. Yeah. You need Nike to decide. Okay, we want to support this team. Not, no, not, it wasn't like you know the 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 kind of support that Gonzaga has now is not the support few had in two thousand seven, but they were getting a lot more support than what they yeah, were yeah, like, did the first run. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they need that. Nike was also trying to stab him in the back, <laughs> take him to Oregon. But I know uh, I don't know how many times they tried to do that, and it was crazy because I feel like you know I don't know if this was cap, but during that game, during during the last game, also you know a few apparently told him that he he has never interviewed for another job. I don't know if that's cap. I I feel like he's got, I know he's his, probably communicated with. With other jobs, I don't know if he's going on a formal like interview. interview. Yeah, it might be like a, it might be very like a what's the a word? Like a semantics kind of thing. Yeah, semantics. Right, where he's definitely talked to people about their jobs, but he's never. Yeah, a lot of times, like these things are worked out before you even get to the interview. You know, yeah, <laughs> like 100%. at this level, you know, unless you're yeah. doing like a open coaching search. But like, if anybody's calling for Mark Few, like it's not really a coaching search. It's do you want the job? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, he's your he's your first choice. Whoever's calling him. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure they called and asked him, "Do you want the job?" And you know, they may have had a conversation, but every time he's probably told them, "Nah, I'm good." What are the parameters for getting a coach into the Hall of Fame? Because why isn't Mark Few or Bob Huggins in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, so that's interesting. So uh, look, Bob Huggins, I think is eligible, but I think you what have the to hell is people waiting for. I think it's an age thing. I think you. I think you have to be like over like fifty something. You have to have coached for like over twenty years. I think Bob Huggins like, definitely fit that bill. So because I thought about it, because like Brad Stevens is now like I'm not saying Brad Stevens is a Hall of Famer yet, but like Brad Stevens is like I did the math when I heard the criteria. I was like about ten years away from you know being in the Hall of Fame, being in that conversation. But um, but yeah, yeah, it was. I, I, I forgot. I saw it recently because I thought I thought about that too. I was like. When I saw like Bill Self was in, I was like Bill Self. Like, I mean, he's he's done a lot, but I mean, you know, he's like in his prime. I don't think it's him as like some, you know, legend necessarily. But yeah, um, so Bill yeah. Self's been coaching for a long time though. I I went to look up his like 
coaching record the other day because when I saw him getting blasted, I, you know, I always get curious about these things. And I mean, he was at Oral Roberts in like in like '94, <laughs> like head coaching. So he's yeah. been around forever. He just started young. Also, Bill Self also doesn't he ages great by the way. Also, I feel like he's looked this way for like 15 years. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, since the <laughs> since the Chalmers shot, like he yeah, like, I feel like he hasn't he hasn't he yeah, hasn't aged today. Um, yeah, so a coach must either be fully retired for four or full seasons, or if an active coach, they must have been a coach for a minimum of 25 years. Either an assistant or a head coach for a minimum of 25 years. So, oh, oh it can be an assistant too? Yes. Because oh, so I was going to say, because a, a few might, he, he, he might either be eligible soon or he might be a couple years away then. Because he yeah. got the Gonzaga job in 2000. So he was on that. He was on the '99 staff, and that's like the famous story. He was on the Monson staff, and Monson gave Monson left Minnesota. You know, he took over. I don't know how long he was at Gonzaga before then, though. Yeah, huh? He's been an assistant since 1990. Oh yeah, then he at Gonzaga. Yeah, I didn't know he was there that long. Yeah, I mean, yeah, then he should be. He should be in the Hall of Fame. That's not. I don't know what they're waiting for. Yeah, it's like his conference. His conference, and I know people say, oh, you play in the terrible conference, whatever. His conference record is like, he has like a 93% conference record. And they've been to this moment 20, 23 years in a row or 21 years, something crazy. Like, I mean, at a certain point, it's like, what are they, I don't know what they're waiting for. I think 22 years in a row, because 99 and now it's 2001, 2021. So, like, I mean, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know what they're doing. No yeah, one's ever done with no. I mean, I got said this before. Like to me, few is like I know you know people who are like oh you're talking about Gonzaga again. Whatever, I'm on my soapbox. I mean, to me, few is the modern day Coach K. <laughs> he is said Think, only like Gonzaga. No, no, I'm gonna say that because I say that in that to me, like Coach K was the modern day Bob Knight, like in the sense that they went to a school that had nothing, no history. No, no sense of being a big program, anything like that. And only through him did they become what they are. I say modern day Coach K. I'm not saying with the difference. The difference, Coach is, K, is, is, the difference between Coach K and Bob Knight is they both won championships a lot faster. Yeah. Right. But in terms of what they established at their schools and what they eventually became, it's the same. There are it's, similarities here. Yeah, it's it's you get into a program that was nothing. You, you you turned them into a a, a a a power, and now you sit here as one of the top four or five coaches in college basketball, and your program is as elite as it comes, and you're getting now five star guys, the best guy in the country wants to come to your school, like that's what Coach K in Indiana did. So yeah. like, and that's what Coach K and Bob Knight did with Indiana. So like, the championships aren't there, but the work. To get your program to that level is there, man. And I say modern day because I, I think that I don't know if you'll ever have ne- like the same thing that happened with Coach K and Bob Knight. That's why I say modern day because you. I don't think you'll ever have a Coach K. I don't think you have a guy go to um, what will be the equivalent of Duke in the in the seventies, like right now. Yeah, um, like what's the school that has DePaul? Yes, like I don't know, like like somebody that just had just so hapless in basketball. It's not even worth talking about them, like. You're not going to have that guy make that program the number one program in the country. 
for like 20 years. Like, you could argue Scott Drew's kind of done that maybe with Baylor, but like, Baylor's not going to be Duke for the next 20 years. They're going to have ebbs and flows. They're going to be a great, they're a great program. He's done a great job, but like, they're not going to be the guys or one of the guys for the Blue Bloods. You know what I'm saying? It's Knight so tough and K turned those schools in the blue, but you can argue Gonzaga's on that same track. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with just like the money, the, the money that's get thrown out now. Like, it's hard to compete if you're not a blue blood, man. Like, that's, that's why what I'm like, to say. That's but, why I think I don't think it's ever gonna happen. If you did took a tremendous amount of like loyalty to like Yes, not, exactly. Everybody says I gotta go somewhere where I'm gonna get the support. Yeah, I'm gonna get build. the money. Yeah. I get to win. Exactly. I can recruit five stars. Like that's always the appeal. Like John Kyle Perry could have won a national championship in Memphis. I mean, he probably should have. You know, had Chalmers not had a huge shot. Um, he could have won a national championship in Memphis. Um, and I always wondered to myself, like, would he have left had he won a national championship? I know you you think that he would have. I I have my questions about whether or not he would have left. But regardless, like. He could have won, but he would have rather, you know, there, there is a, there is the, the argument that he would have left anyway because he wanted to be at a school like Kentucky where everything came easy. He, he got paid. Like, Memphis wouldn't have been able to pay John Calipari. Exactly. Like, Kentucky can pay John Calipari. And ultimately, for even a school like Butler that had a guy like Brad Stevens, similar amount of loyalty to Mark Few, but, like, they couldn't compete with the NBA. So, yeah, exactly. you know, like, I don't know if he would have went to Duke or if he would have went to Indiana, but to Boston Celtics is another level. So that, that's the other part of it is that you have NBA teams that are also recruiting these guys. So it's hard. Like, Mark Few is... And you know how many times Coach K and Bob Knight got offered to be in the NBA? It's the same thing. It's... Yeah. They both were like, nah, I'm gonna... I, this is where I want to be. Like, those are special people. Those situations don't happen. That's why... Again, I think Few is as close as you'll ever come to those guys right now. I don't know who will be after Few, but like, again, Jay Wright, do what he there did. Similarities as well. Um, you say? I said Jay Wright. You know, Villanova has a little bit more I history. I can't say that because Jay Wright, Villanova's won national championships. I mean, they got one. Um, they got I know, one. No, but like, I, I just feel they, like they're yeah. not. That it's not. It wasn't what Duke and Indiana was. I know he got there at a bad time, but you can't have NBA players. And a national championship, and be like, again, we Duke and Indiana were hapless when those guys got there, completely yeah. hapless. Yeah, but I, I mean, I just mean in terms of obviously it's not a complete one for one, but in terms of like, I mean, he's been there now for over twenty years. Oh yeah, he. I mean, I mean, yeah. Really, Jay Rice been there not twenty years. No, not twenty years, like fifteen, years. like fifteen. But probably, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a long, it's been a long pandemic, EJ. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's been there for about fifteen years now, and. Over 15 years, and he's, I mean, he's one, you know. I mean, to him. me, he's one of those, he's one of those coaches where when you think about the school, you're going to think about him. Yeah. Like, you know, like he, he's, a, he's a legend. No question. Which is crazy. I mean, again, like he, like they had a, le- they had a legendary coach there. Like it's crazy that he's not become the guy. But like, really, Massimino is a legend at Villanova. And, now, I mean, you think about Villanova, you're always going to think of Jay Wright. You're not going to think of Massimino. You know, they had one of the more memorable championships of all time. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking about college basketball coaching legacies. And, and football, too. I just love, because, like, it's, it's, I love to talk about them in the moment. Because I feel like 
when you're in the moment of the timeline, it's hard to kind of like take the wider picture of this stuff. So like me saying that Fuse the modern day Coach K sounds very spicy. Again, but I think that when you think about where they are and where they're projected to be and what he did, I think there's a very good chance that in 20 years he may have three or four national championships at Gonzaga. It just like so then what I said today might not sound that crazy because of what the the track looks like, you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, I, I just I just thought it was fascinating. Tournament's been fun, man. More games this weekend. I'm excited for them. I only got one team left in my final four. Says is Kendall. I still think Gonzaga is the team to beat, but when you're a fan of the team, you never feel super confident. You're always nervous about every game. So I'm nervous about Creighton. Um, I'm nervous about a matchup with Oregon or USC, particularly Oregon, because they really can, they're really athletic and they can score the ball. But, uh, but everybody he's telling me to not worry. Every pundit keeps talking about Gonzaga being so dominant, so maybe I shouldn't worry too much. Um, I do want to quickly bring up a couple of NBA things. So, uh, firstly, uh, these injuries that happened, Kendall. Le- uh, Lons- uh, LeBron, high ankle sprain, out. They say indefinitely, but I mean, you know, ankle sprain. Sometime within the next month, I think you would think he'll be back. Uh, LaMelo Ball, presumptive rookie of the year, out for the season potentially with a wrist break or a fracture. Um, they're going to reevaluate him in a month, but so they want to leave the possibility he can come back in the Hornets on their playoff run. But the initial word was they thought the, the fracture was bad enough to where he would definitely be out for the season. So it's kind of been a weird couple of weeks in the league in terms of the injuries. Uh, Giannis out. Seth Curry went out. Um, we had Joel Embiid with the knee injury. He's been out for a little while, and the Sixers are still rolling. You know, we haven't seen Kevin Durant in forever. Are you concerned about the Kevin Durant thing? Like, no. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all, man. That, honestly, that next team. You think, you think, they're, just telling, you think they're just telling him to chill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, like worst case, like even if they didn't have a playoff, I think they are still the favorites. Yeah, like I, I agree, man. I was gonna say even if he, if Kevin Durant never played another game, I still think the Nets would probably be the favorites to come out of the East. That's how dominant they look right now. Yeah, man. So it's, it's that's crazy. why I'm not concerned. Like, just show up. Like, yeah, in case just show up. Go and play all time. Well, man. when I say concern, I mean concern about his health, not concern about the team per se. Right, right, right. Like, is I don't know. I is this more than what enough. they're saying? I, you know, the the Nets. I, you know, when you have teams like the Nets and Golden State, like I'm just not, I'm not plugged into what their what their day to day is because I just know. I mean, certain games they're just gonna win. Um, so I'm not. I, I I I couldn't tell you whether or not I'm concerned about their their injury or his I mean, injury. They don't. They, he doesn't have a timetable to come back. It's just like they're just slowly but, bringing him slow. I think he he's playing some two one two ball, but he's not playing full court. Um. I, yeah, I that's guess not, he's on the road to recovery, but he's just like it's been a long time since he's been. I know hamstring can be tricky, but yeah, there's no there's no reason to rush. No, like, there's why, not. I agree with that. You're playing with that team. I mean, maybe you want a little bit of continuity, but I don't, it's not going to bother them when they in a first round series against Atlanta. You know, or okay, somebody, so on so. the flip side, are you concerned about the Lakers and LeBron and AD? I'm a little bit more concerned about the Lakers. Uh, you know, I do want to see what they do. Do they have to do anything at the deadline? I mean, I think that that's something that has to be considered. Um, I'm more worried about seeding and how do they finish up this season um, and where they end up in the in the playoffs? Because you know, if you don't have LeBron and AD for the next 
three, four weeks. Like, and you're talking about the West is so good they could they could really fall. Yeah, yeah, the West is tough. Did not uh, they left a lot to be desired uh, in this game against the Pelicans tonight. Um, it feels like their their floor to me is still six. I know people are saying. I know some people are saying, "Oh, they could get to seven. I'm like, I do. I see the Spurs or Mavs making up four games. The Mavs are playing really great ball right now, but that's still a lot. I don't think LeBron's gonna be as out as long as people think. I think it'll be. I think it'll maybe be three weeks. So that's about the way the team looked tonight. Seven games, eight games, maybe. I mean, they've got the Sixers next. That's another L more than likely. Yeah. Got Cleveland, Orlando. Got to split one of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you got Milwaukee. And then you got Sacramento on the road. And then you got. Well, you could be Sacramento on the road. They could be Sacramento. But, I mean, their best player is Dennis Schroeder. I don't know. <laughs> Kyle Kuzma. I mean, you know, on the road against Toronto, Miami, Brooklyn, New York, Charlotte, Boston, Utah, Utah, Dallas, yeah, Dallas. Yeah, it's gets tough. It does. That's a tough stretch. By the time LeBron comes back, late April, that if that's going to be late April when he's back. Well, I said three weeks. So that's about mid-April. That's what I think. That's around I think. mid. If you're talking mid-April, that's around when they play. They'll be on their mid-April. Would be they just got back home, and they're about to play Boston, and then a back-to-back, back-to-back against Dallas. Mm-hmm. He's got to get back before then. He's got to get back right before then, or at least at that point. They have if, an easy if, stretch. If, if, yeah, if up. they if they get if he doesn't play those games, they can fall they're, out. They're definitely going to fall to six, and they they could fall further. And man, like, I mean, look, they're the favorites to come out of the West if healthy, uh, obviously. But that's my um, question, though. Do you think don't that, want like, to play some playing tournament? <laughs> that's just not what you want. <laughs> you don't that's want what to happen. Yeah. Because also it's just wasted. It's just wasted games. Like even if you know they're gonna f- dominate the the Grizzlies or someone like that or the Pelicans, like like it's just that's a wasted game or maybe two games that you just don't need LeBron's legs on or AD's yeah. legs on. Like you just don't. That's you don't want that. Yeah. Um, but then my question though is, like, do you think it matters to them if they do get a seven or a six? And have to play against the Clippers or the Suns in the first round. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like the Lakers. Maybe I'm just so jaded by just how dominant they looked last year in the postseason. I'm still not that worried. Like, as long as they're healthy, when they got to play those teams, I still think they're beating those teams. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly concerned either. I mean, the Clippers. I like, they mean they, they the transcend seeding to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same with the, them and the Nets are similar in that regard. And um, going back to what we said earlier, I think that the idea that yes, you're not in the bubble anymore, so there's traveling, but it's not we don't there's not going to be full capacity fans. Um, and I, I don't even know if it'll be half capacity. It's not going to be half capacity probably even by then. So even though you're going on the road, you're not going into you know hostile environments. You know, <laughs> going and playing in front of a couple of thousand people, which they they've been doing. Most guys been doing since they were in high school. Uh, like, I, I think that playing on the road is not going to be an issue. It's not ideal, but I, I'm not. I can't be too worried about about that aspect of it. Um, do you expect anybody to be? Do you expect any major trades? Are there any guys you're looking at 
He's saying. Well, it sounds like Aaron Gordon um, is going to be out of Orlando this week. That's not that way. Um, everything points to Boston. I mean, we'll see whether or not Danny Ainge is willing to pull the trigger on a deadline deal, and he hasn't. I don't think he's done one of any of any significance since he got Isaiah Thomas. Um, but uh, regardless, like. I honestly, have, I already told you, I think that Aaron Gordon would be an excellent fit on the Celtics. But um, the reason it feels like Boston for Aaron Gordon is that, look, he wants out of, he's already said, he's requested a trade. He wants out of Orlando. Um, and he specifically stated that he wants, he doesn't want to go to a bad team. I mean, obviously, like, I don't think he has a problem being in Orlando. He just knows that, like, for a guy that's very marketable, um, he's played on a, he's played on a terrible team that has no chance of competing in a small market his entire career. I, I'm sure he has no problem living in the city. It's a, it's a, it's a great city to live in yeah. uh, if, you're a, if you're a superstar athlete. But, um, you know, I think he wants to play in a, in a big market on a, on a playoff team. I can't even call it a contender at this point, but on yeah. a playoff team. Um, so, but it, the teams that really want to get him, it seems like, are Minnesota. Uh, we've heard Detroit. We've yeah. heard Houston. And we've heard Boston. Like three of those teams, you know, not contending, yeah, smaller markets, and then you have to definitely be able to be careful what you wish for deal if he goes to any of those other yeah. teams. Um, and I believe he's a free agent coming up. I got to check his contract, but um, like so if any of those, he's got four years, but yeah, he he's signed the extension. I thought, yeah, but yeah, he's gonna be a free agent next year. So, yeah. um. That'll be, I mean, it's a one-year rental, you know, if you bring a guy in, you know, and one-and-a-half-year rental. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look, maybe one of those teams, if they really like Aaron Gordon, will make that deal. But, you know, Celtics obviously have to do something. But, yeah, Aaron Gordon and then Victor Oladipo is another interesting one. I, I, have, no, I have no idea what Victor Oladipo should be worth on the open market. I saw someone else say that, and I totally agree with him. I would tend to think obviously he's played well he's played well um this season uh but i mean has he uh, i mean i don't think he's I mean, played that well he lost every game, but i mean i think he was averaging like 25 points this month so it's like Holy i mean shoot. that kind of score yeah. you would think be able to, with his you know pedigree uh I really, you would I think really that think guy would help i really think his fool's goal with him he's, he's averaging 20 in five and four. He'll be oh. shooting like 40% from the field. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, kind of what his he, efficiency numbers have just been terrible. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely more like young Oladipo than it is like prime Oladipo in 2017. But um, to me, like, I look, I agree. I think his, I think his value should be on the lower end than on the higher end. Like when the Rockets were talking about going to the Warriors and saying, Hey, you guys want Old Depot? How, James get, Wiseman. Like, that, like, what the I mean, hell are they talking about? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You know, on the flip side, like, you know, I think from a team like the Knicks' perspective, if you're talking about giving up someone like Frank Lakina or Kevin Knox, like, I think you have to seriously consider doing it. Um, I know, you know, sometimes you feel a little weird about bringing in a guy who's on a, who's on a one-year deal. It's a rental. You're not really competing for a championship. But... I mean, this Knicks team at this point, let's be honest, they're a competitive basketball team. Um, you know, they're not they're not going to be a, a, an easy out for a, for a three or four season Eastern Conference necessarily. So, um, 
you know, you want to give yourself as many horses as you can offensively. And I think that that's, that's the big thing when I look at this Knicks team um, in a playoff series. Will they have the offensive firepower to compete uh, for seven games against a team? And while Julius Randle can compete, I think, for seven games like that offensively, I just don't trust Barrett, Rose, quickly to be able to play like that in a playoff series. But if you bring in Victor Oladipo, not saying Victor Oladipo is going to dominate, but that just gives you one more piece to to, to help you offensively. So as, as opposed to having to rely on Alec Burks to give you that that offensive scoring punch. So I would I would make it I would seriously consider bringing Oladipo. But again, what's the price? Like I'm not giving you Mitchell Robinson. I'm not giving you Opie Toppin. I'm not giving you anybody else. So like that's where the price is. And right, but the like- price the price right now seems high. And it seems like, you know, according to Woj, it seems like the teams, you know, the Heat and the and the and the Knicks are very reluctant to give up a lot because they have a lot like, of cap room. It, it feels like the buyer's market on this year's deadline, the price seems steeper than usual. And I I mean I feel like I think these recent I think these recent trades have really thrown I think these the value trades have skewed that skewed the the trade value of like guys 100%. who aren't yeah. Because I mean I'm hearing the Kyle Lowry stuff and we're talking about the Rockets. I mean we're talking about the, the, the Raptors, you know, they they're talking to the Heat saying we want Tyler Hero. You know, I know Tyler Hero is having a bad year, but I mean come on now. Like yeah, I was playing the NBA finals last year, <laughs> getting yeah, thirty. He was, <laughs> he, he was the Eastern Conference Finals MVP last season. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm gonna trade him for an Asian year old point guard. Yeah, thirty four year old point guard. Come on now. Like and but then apparently the Heat are like, hey, look, we'll give you Preston Dechua, or we'll give you Duncan Robinson. I'm like, even that's like, <laughs> all right, we got to twist my arm to get Preston Dechua or Duncan Robinson. So, you know, I, I look. I mean, maybe I'm not being as respectful for Kyle Lowry, but to me, what this signifies is either again, it's that superstar market thing, or it's, or it's a thing of I think some of these teams think that they can compete this season. That there is an open. Th- 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 I don't know th- what th- I don't know what anybody in the East is talking about. Right. I, I, I don't mean, know that's what, what anybody in the East is talking about. It's more wide open than the, whatever like, the perception. The West, in- only because of the injuries to the Lakers, I can see someone saying, "You know what? This might be our shot." In a shot in a year, we thought they looked like they had no shot. Maybe okay, they look a little old, look a little injury prone. Maybe this is our shot to be aggressive. I-, I think anybody in the East giving them anything, thinking that they're going to beat the Nets, I think is crazy. And you know what? Like, I agree. And all the buyers seem to be coming from the East. I know. That's why it doesn't make any sense. You know what I think it is? I think it's that Nets trade. Like, I think the Nets getting hardened. I think you have all these teams now that are like, I mean, we can't seriously, like, stand pat. And think yeah, we we're, sta- we're, sta- we're staring at a four-game sweep. Yeah. Like, if we do anything, you know, if you're the Celtics, you're like, look, I mean, John Collins. I mean, I hear the Celtics trying to get John Collins. I'm like, first of all, we have nothing to get John Collins. But second of all, <laughs> like. I mean, we can give up, like, Marcus Smart or give up Robert Williams or give up both of those guys, probably. And maybe, maybe you get John Collins, but we're not, we're not, beating, the, we're not beating the Nets. That's the, thing about, that's the thing about these guys, too. When we talk about an Oladipo, a Lowry, a Gordon, a, a John Collins, I don't see any of these guys making a difference against the Nets. Like, I, that's why I don't really... I mean, yeah. if you, I mean, if you could fleece one of these teams to get those guys, like, I understand that. But, like... These teams, like, apparently, again, are offering, asking for a lot. I, I wouldn't think about it. It seems like the Knicks and Heat are being smart in terms of Oladipo. The Knicks seem to be smart about all these guys. Uh, but, like, I mean, those other guys, like, I'm, I'm just not giving you a lot 
knowing that I'm like, okay, now I may win a game because I got John Collins. Like, it's, it, you're still going to get washed by the Nets. Uh, the Nets right now, I tweeted last week, like, to me, they are as inevitable being in the finals as it feels like I've ever felt since they've been in Brooklyn. Like, it just, I, I can't even, <laughs> I can't foresee any way they're not in the NBA finals. Like, again, yeah. I, I almost, well, and I'm including the fact that Kevin Durant has been injury prone all year. I'm like, I, I, I still don't see how they're not in the finals. Like, I, I, and it's I just, like, it's crazy. It's almost, it's almost worse than the Golden State team. Like, and I, you know, I hate to say that because I'm like, this, we haven't even seen this, I think, could be in the playoffs. But, like, the, I feel like the Golden State team, I, maybe it was because the West was, like, gauntlet. I think that's I was why. Like, you never know. If a guy gets hurt, that was always the thing. I was like, I mean, if they're healthy, no, they're not losing anything. But if a guy gets hurt, you never know what could happen. Um, and a lot of times guys did get hurt and they still made it, they still made it to the finals. But, um, they had two injuries and that, that's what took them out in the, in the NBA finals, obviously against Toronto. But like, it never felt this bad, but with this Nets team, it feels like that golden state team where you feel like, man, there's no, there's, there's almost no way, even with an injury. Like that's the difference because, because they have three guys that could single-handedly win you a playoff series, like single-handedly win yeah. you a playoff series. Like, even losing one of them, like, you still feel like, well, we have two guys. Like, the team we're facing may have another guy like us, but we've got two of them. And there's no other team in the Eastern Conference that's two of them. I mean, maybe, this, maybe the Celtics, you know, maybe, you know, Milwaukee. But, like, I mean, the Celtics are a mess. Milwaukee, we know what Milwaukee is in the playoffs. And, I mean, Philly, like, Embiid is dominant. Embiid is kind of the X factor, but... You know, I mean, do they have the offensive firepower to consistently guard the team? I just don't think so. You know, or to consistently go shot for shot with the team around. So, I don't know. Um, I, did, one, I, did like, I did like Milwaukee and P.J. Tucker. You know, I think yeah, they, I feel like the, they feel like the only team with a puncher shot against the Brooklyn Nets. And he's the kind of guy I'd want against the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. He's a big upgrade over Torrey Craig. Um. And, they didn't lose anything in, in the actual trade. Yeah, look, I mean, you're talking about the Nets. I mean, you're talking about the 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 the, the Bucks. They've got interesting matchups defensively against those teams, against that team. Like getting Drew Holiday. You know, I ragged on the Drew Holiday trade. Obviously, this offseason, I thought it was an overpay, but like, I didn't. I also didn't know that the Nets were getting James Harden. So right now that the Nets have James Harden, this is where we're at. Um, yeah, I just need as many good defenders as possible. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't, so, they don't come much better than Drew Holiday. I don't know who he's. I don't know if he's guarding uh, Kyrie or if he's guarding Harden. But regardless, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to put him on one of those guys. Yeah, I'll take my chances against one of those guys. It couldn't have been Eric Bledsoe, or it couldn't have been George Hill. So, yeah. um, so yeah, that 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 is that that's that's interesting in the East. I was gonna say the one team that seems to be a buyer in the western conference um very active is the dallas mavericks um they seem to be in the market we've heard john collins's name mentioned um you know we've heard a little bit of aaron gordon stuff a lot of it seems like like if they're getting john collins that's trading chris asporzingis i would imagine um you know i don't think they have the the asset really? base to get John Collins. I, I I mean, that seems like a lot, I know, but they don't they, I mean I know they don't got I, I 
here's the thing. I don't think that I think you know something. Something like I think Gordon and Old Depot I think will be somewhere else. That just seems like those places are helping on getting them the hell out of there. But I don't know some of these other teams. I don't think that they're gonna. I don't think we're gonna see a lot of trades. Like, I don't think we're gonna see John Collins move because the teams that would get him, I just feel like. Again, you're saying give up Porzingis. I'm like, well, why? What's the point from giving up Porzingis? Um, Boston, yeah. like, well, give up Smart and Bob Williams. I'm like, what's the point of giving up Smart and Bob Williams? Like, I don't see the <laughs> right. point. Like, this is a lot of these teams that, because of the the way the NBA is going, I guess, last few years, I just feel like a lot of these teams that are trying to make moves, like, don't have any assets. So, the, the, and the teams that do have assets don't like the players that are available. The funny so, thing like, about the, the Knicks and the Heat, like, could do a lot. But they're not interested in these guys that much. Like they would take them, but not for the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. Um, the funniest thing about the John Collins thing with the Celtics was that the Hawks, like the Celtics, called about John Collins, and apparently the Hawks pulled like a two K move and were like, "Yeah, no, nah, we're not interested in that trade." But let's talk about Jalen Brown. <laughs> what could what, what we get for Jalen? What do we have to give up to get Jalen Brown? I mean, like, I mean, that's something I would do in two K. Um, <laughs> you know, but that also, you know, if you, depending on the mode you do that, I'm like, how you like? I was like, how you like Trey Young? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm like, that's that's where the conversation begins. With yeah, that. I mean, Tatum and, and, and Trey Young. You know, I got to think about it, but um, I'm saying oh, you also got to take back Kemba. <laughs> yeah, by the way, but um, but yeah, nah. This is uh this is gonna be an interesting an interesting trade deadline. Um and then obviously also you have a guy like Andre Drummond who's gonna be on the buyout market more than likely. And I mean, there's also been the conversation of when that old depot end up on the buyout market. It seems like considering their asking price, that they wouldn't just you don't pivot from James Wiseman to all right, we'll buy you out. Like there's a middle ground there somewhere. So either they're gonna trade him or they're gonna keep him, I would imagine. Um, well, why keep him? There is no value to keep him. There's which zero is why value to keep him. We trade him, but I mean, <laughs> so maybe they're just playing hardball and he stays away from the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean they, they they're not. They, I mean they're not a rush. There's no reason to trade him today. They could trade him on Thursday. But like, Golden State is also another team. Golden State is such a weird buyer to me because I like. First of all, I don't I think, think they, I think they really want to make the playoffs. Yeah, I know, and it's not. We no one thinks that they can do anything. But I just think after what happened last season and all the excitement for this season with Clay coming back and it not ha- working out, I don't. I just don't think they want another year in the lottery. I think they want to make the playoffs, um, and I think they feel like, look, we're probably going to win a championship, but give us a chance against some of these young teams at the top, like the Suns and the Jazz, and like who's we got, say, who stab. knows? You know, I mean, Jazz aren't young, but you know, a team that's not necessarily a team that's used to being a, you know a formidable one seed. You know the Suns, obviously, they're they're not used to they they've they've never been in the playoffs for the last like ten years, so I think they I think they feel like, yo give us a shot, and who knows what happens? We can go on a great run, and show teams that we're still a formidable organization, and show other players that when Clay comes back and things get you know start to get out of ducks in a row, maybe we can get another start in a year or two. Am I the only one that thinks that Alonzo Ball hoopla is a little a little much? I agree with you. Though I will say, I thought that uh, Matty Johnson made a great case for him to be a Nick. Not that I would do the trade, but I think in many ways, what, what was the trade that he that he proposed? He didn't so, propose I mean, a trade. He just uh, he just made the point that he thought that Lonzo was a great fit for the Knicks. He was countered by Stephen A. was saying the Knicks need a guard who can shoot. He was like, more than that, the Knicks need a guy who can get easy shots for other guys and push the tempo. 
And I kind of agree with Magic. I think I I I I really Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> well, don't don't remind Nick fans of that. But I mean, I kind of agree. Like I and to be fair, Halliburton could do both. But I, I I kind of agree. Like I I I think right now with the way Quickly is playing, I don't know if I need another guard who's a scorer. We got you also got Derrick Rose on the team. Like I think they got enough. I mean, they don't got enough to win a championship. But I think like if they got a guard who could push a tempo and get top in and and Barrett on the break like I think you that will be the next evolution of their offense not necessarily a guy another guy who can come in and shoot per se right so I kind of made, he made a good point he made a good case I, I'm not in I think with a guy who's a restricted free agent um and considering he's kind of young the, the, the Pelicans won't want to give him up for nothing because they again he's a restricted free agent so you still have a chance to retain him if you wanted to even if you let him walk to free agency which is what they plan to do like I, I still think the, the asking price would probably be too much for them, but I do agree that he's the kind of player that would fit. But yeah, I, I, overall, though, I agree with you. I think that this idea that he's this different maker on the trade deadline, I don't I've agree. Heard the offers that have been thrown out there to me, it's funny because I asked my brother Henry, who's a Pelicans fan. Brother was, Pelicans fan, yep. He's heard, uh, he's heard a lot of the offers. And <laughs> he surprisingly was like, I, I'm not intrigued by any of them. <laughs> Which to me, I was like, I mean, the names we've heard, we've heard the Hawks. We're willing to part with Cam Reddish um, for Lonzo Ball. We've heard that the 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 Nuggets are willing to part with Bull Bull, and that the Bulls would likely be willing to move on from Lowry Markin for Lonzo Ball. To me, that the third one to me, the first one's intriguing, but Cam Reddish, you know, I mean, the percentage is still you know in the toilet a little bit. Um, Bull Bull, I mean. Great prospect. I don't know what to make of him you right know now. What he is. Yeah. They don't play him, uh, but but Lowry Markkinen. I know he's very inconsistent, but to me that bull situation is is just he's got to get out of it. Like he needs a massive change of scenery. Um, and I there was one of these one of these reporters made the case that like Lowry to the bull Lowry to the Pelicans, like you know like it makes sense for the Bulls, but like. Lowry's a bad fit for New Orleans, and I actually, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking. I, 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 that's how I feel. You don't think so? I, I think that it's funny. Me and Henry talked about that exact trade like two weeks ago. We talked about you know the idea of Lonzo on the. I forgot what we talked about Lonzo on the Bulls, but we were like, who would the Pelicans get back? And we were talking about it's either it's got to be either Carter or Marketing. Carter was playing pretty good at times. So we were like, it's probably got to be Marketing. But we talked about how he would essentially. Henry's always telling me that the Pelicans need shooting. They need spacing. Um, it's one thing, one of the major things that they that they lack. But also, like when you watch the Pelicans, they play Nicola Melli way too many minutes. Like, I, I mean, play because they need spacing and they need shooting. Like he's got to be out there, and he he's not a he's not a great player. You know, he's a marginal kind of guy. Put those minutes on Lowry Marketing. Now you'd have to tell him like I don't think you can start. You probably have to come off the bench. So that's that is an awkward fit probably, but. From a need standpoint, could he do for Stan Van what guys like Ryan Anderson and Hero Hercules did? I guess the problem with me though is the rest of the roster because you're logging a lot of minutes with Steven Adams, who also shouldn't be playing the minutes he's playing. Um so you got those, you know, thirty minutes a game, twenty seven he's playing twenty seven minutes a game right now. Uh who you say? They 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 try they're trying to get Jackson Hayes more minutes. Jackson Hayes is getting more time. Um, 
I mean, they've even played Billy Herman Gomez every now and then. Like, I guess yeah. I, I just have, okay, you, marketing such a bad defender. Like, he can't play the five. Or at least he probably shouldn't play the five. And we play him with Zion. It's just like you're, you're just you're just not getting any defense. So it's like <laughs> the so rebound. Like, okay, it, it, is he just like a high end backup forward behind Zion and Adams for twenty five minutes a night? I mean, I mean maybe he is, but like, is it worth getting up Lonzo Ball? You're starting point guard. I don't know about that. Now, I mean, look to me. I think I know a lot of people again. A lot of people talking about Gordon. A lot of people talking about. You know, John Collins. I, I mean, if marketing's value is as low as, you know, Lonzo Ball, then I think a lot of teams should be picking up the phone, trying to get a lot of marketing. Uh, well, it sounds like they're starting to now. Yeah, I would think so. It sounds um, like it sounds like his market is picking up. It was pretty slow for a while, though. His name kept being brought up, but nobody really seemed to care. It feels like now they are starting to really fit. Uh, also, not a whole lot of... Defensive. Who do you uh, say the fit? Denver. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, him and Porter is a little bit of overlap, but yeah. if you want to continue to have spacing around Jokic, um, I can see Denver. And I'm, I'm sure Boston would certainly think about picking up the phone. He just doesn't help them defensively. That's the problem. Um, but they also need scoring. Like, that's why, I mean, a lot of some of the Gordon stuff, they've mentioned how they also want Evan Fournier as well. So it could be a larger package to try and get Fournier and uh, Aaron Gordon or try and get John Collins and Bogdanovich. So, like, it seems like the Celtics, I think the Celtics are going to do something. It's either that or they should tank. Like, I'm just being honest. As a Celtics fan, if you don't do anything, they, they might as well rest Tatum and Brown. For the I can't ball. believe that they've played 43 games and the Celtics are below 500. I just really can't believe that. Look, I'm not one to make excuses. Uh, I don't really know what's going on. Um, I mean, I know what's going on, but I, I you know, I mean, you gotta wonder. If, cause I agree. I, it, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of dumbfounding. But I wonder if some of the COVID stuff has affected them. You know, mm. and they had a they had a bad stretch. But a lot of these teams have had that, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, can't really blame that. But you know, Tatum obviously talked about he got affected by it. Um, he's kind of dipped a little bit. Uh, a couple of these other guys certainly had it, um, but it's uh, but yeah, it, it, it's it's certainly been certainly been a weird year for the Celtics. You had all the Brad Stevens to Indiana smoke this week, and then he put the kibosh on that, and then they went on to lose two games to bad teams. So I, I mean, I don't know. Um, they have to make a deal. I think Brad, Danny Ainge knows that. It's just, I mean, it's going to come down to what are you willing to give up. Because I can't imagine they'd want to give up Pritchard or they'd want to give up Robert Williams or they want to give up Romeo Langford. But you got to give up something to get something, you know, <laughs> like it's like, do you want to get somebody to help your team? So when you talk with we talk about, you know, the buyers feeling like they're mostly in the East. It makes sense when you consider that the difference between the fourth seed in the East and the 10th seed in the East is two and a half games. Wow. Still crazy. Like the Hawks right now are twenty two and twenty one. They're in fourth. The Pacers at nineteen and twenty three are in uh are in the tenth spot. And man, the Raptors, you want to talk about a free fall, man. They've lost nine in a row. Pascal and Nick Nurse are ready to scrap. Um 
things are bad there, man. I did not expect them to play this poorly. But it's, it's the end of their run. I feel like uh, Jason McIntyre was one year ahead of the curve. One year, he was one year too fast in terms of his uh, his death nail to the uh, Toronto Raptors. As a, yeah, past Dossie Dockham getting fined for you know trying to fight Nick Nurse. Second time he's been disciplined by them. Yeah, though the team denied that that happened. They're saying that the discussions about him are ongoing. Which when I hear yeah. that, I, that makes me wonder if they're trying to trade his ass. It means something. Something happened. Yeah, yeah. To me, something happened. Whether that's fine or not, I don't know. That I almost wonder when I hear it, when you say that, oh, he's not fine. The discussion ongoing it makes me think that they're probably saying, "Yo, today." Like I, yeah. I really like. I, I really think that that might happen. I mean, that's what that's like the one line that almost always gets you traded when you start trying to fight management or the coaching yeah, staff. That's a wrap. If you're like not, that, unless you're like a superstar, superstar, yeah, yeah. Like look at Kevin Porter. Like Kevin Porter got arrested in the offseason and the Cavs were like I will figure it out <laughs> yeah. when he tried to fight Kobe Altman he was gone the next day Yeah, yeah <laughs> and like I mean that's always that's always going to be the line um, so yeah now to be fair to Pascal the, the reporting has been that they, they shared choice words oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah, the report that's, that's the official to... reporting to be clear um, <laughs> yeah definitely definitely a hyperbole situation um but not 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 good place at all. On the Lamelo Ball injury, this has I, you know I mean I don't think there's many implications in terms of you know I mean obviously the Hornets are in the playoffs now. We'll see how you know how that shakes out. Um, but in terms of the Rookie of the Year, which people will care about more so, like uh, does Edwards is Edwards a favorite now? Should he be? Uh, he's kind of backed his way into it, hasn't he? He's coming. He's coming on strong as of late. I, I, I say backing himself, and he's played well. Not yeah, necessarily exactly. saying that he's backed himself in terms of like how he's played. I mean, like the scenarios backed him in. Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it's more like the scenarios backed their way into Anthony Edwards. Let me say that way. right. He 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 had a forty point game recently. Obviously, he's had his fair share of highlight plays in the last month or two. Um, after what was a very rough start to his. Uh, it was a rough, inefficient start to his career. Um, he's still dealing with a little bit of inefficiency problems. But uh, now that the ball can't play for the next four or five weeks, um, is there any chance that, that – I don't want to say any chance. Is he the favorite? Uh, or do you just still one, feel like he's one of the favorites for sure. Yeah. What's, I mean, interesting, what's interesting to me is that so we've had this now. This almost never happens. I mean, as far as I've been, as long as I've watched, you've been watching even longer. I feel like this never happens where like the guy who's supposed to be rookie of the year, all of a sudden like he's dealing with some major injury problem. But it's happened now twice, um, in the last like five years, and the the two times that it happened, the guy who was the favorite and the obviously best player did not win it with Zion and Embiid. We had Morant. We had. Malcolm Brockton went in those years, respectively. But what's but what's interesting? You would think that means like that's really good news for Edwards. But what's interesting is that I do wonder if there's a little bit of hindsight from the from the basketball writers that now see in hindsight, like, yeah, I mean Brogdon and you know Morant probably deserved it at the time, but 
<laughs> obviously, it's obvious that Embiid and Zion were better players at the time and are better players now. Maybe it wasn't obvious that Zion was better than Morant at the time, but it's probably obvious now. Like, does that factor in where people? Say, I don't well, think it should. I mean, I because I because I, 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 I don't I, I now here's here's what I'll say. I thought Joel Embiid should have won the Rookie of the Year. I also thought John Morant should have won the Rookie of the Year. So I was kind of like I didn't I wasn't consistent per se in that thought, but I think that there were two the scenarios were a little different. Right. I didn't think anyone played well enough to rise up to the level of Rookie of the Year in the year that Joel didn't win it. And I thought that clearly Ja was a star in his rookie year. So even though Zion played the best in the short time he played, I was fine with, you know, Ja was a rookie of the year to me. But, yeah, you're right. There are there have been injuries to guys who have been presumptive rookie of the year when they've been on the floor. And so that's going to be, that's going to be, that's going to be interesting to see how that checks out this year. Because, again, both times the guy who got hurt didn't win it. So... Um, will the ball name be enough? I mean, mm-hmm. and I, don't think we'll, I don't think he's gonna win it. I think that, I don't think there's enough time. I mean, yeah, it's it's gonna, I think too much time. Like, I think if Edwards is more Malcolm Brogdon than Morant, I think ball is gonna win. It just looks like he's playing too well. Yeah, like he's putting up some big. Yeah, numbers. and I think and you know Halliburton and Quickly are still here. Like those guys still those have guys to play well too. too. Those guys can both win it absolutely. Yeah, you know, like those guys, you know, quickly had a little bit of an ankle thing. He came back. He didn't play great his first game back, but, um, but you know, he's had a great season all year. We all know what Tyrese Halliburton has done all year. So, I, I, I think that there's still a very good chance that someone else besides Edwards, her size ball wins, um, rookie of the year now that he's out. Uh, real quickly, because we don't have that much time left, Kendall, uh, the Sean Watson situation gets uh, darker. It seems like by the day. No, more women came out with a civil lawsuit against him, alleging uh, sexual misconduct or assault in some cases. Very disturbing instances that are being uh, explained by uh, women who were masseuses who say that in these one-on-one situations with them, he was acting extremely inappropriate in these instances. Now, his lawyers have said that these these have been at the center of extortion um, attempts, or at least one of them certainly was. And the word today was that, you know, with one of them being at the center of an extortion uh, case, that the others should have also a lot of doubt. The NFL right now has really not done much. Uh, they pretty much just kind of left it, left their, wiped their hands of it and just said, you know, it's under review. And we'll just keep following the developments like it's the rest of the world is following them. But I, I feel like, I mean, Kendall, I, I do feel like at this point they have to do something. Like, I think it's, it's like the, the lack of. Any movement by the NFL or by the Houston Texans just feels like negligent. Like it just feels like they're just not paying attention. I don't. I mean, it's not an easy situation at all because you're dealing with allegations. Um, we haven't even gotten into like a full-on public situation. What the full allegations are, we don't know his full denial per se either. So it just, it still is very. It feels very. Like we're in a gray area for the for the league at least, but you, I mean, in any situation, if you had a guy who had sixteen women say that he was inappropriate with misconduct or abuse, that person would not be working. They would they would be pulled from their job until an investigation was done or something. It feels like the NFL probably should take at least that step with Deshaun. Am I off on that? Um, like an exemplist thing with him. Like I, I got. Yeah. No. I mean, look, there's certainly that case to be made. 
Um, you know, it, it's the. I guess the one thing that I will say is that look, it it is I mean, maybe this doesn't matter, but I mean it's the off season, so you know, I mean it's not like games are being played. Um, right now, I mean, Texans, but to me, like, it almost becomes a convenient excuse, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, should, it probably shouldn't matter. Right. You know, what time of the NFL calendar we're in in terms of when you're going to make your your movement. But because, like you said, because it's such a, I don't say unique situation, but because it's such a such a, 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 a an ongoing situation, like, there is, like, and you don't, there is no real reason to rush. It's not like he's going to be playing on Sunday. Like, I can see why the NFL would say, I mean, look, we can take our time with this. Um, wait for, you know, some of this investigation to continue to to on go um i mean look it's it's a, it's a strange situation you know because um like i saw one person put it it's it's disturbing uh regardless of whether or not you think that this is all made up or, or you think that um deshaun watson is guilty of everything that he's been accused of it's a very disturbing situation because on one front that means that deshaun watson who seemed like a very clean you know, clean cut, you know, individual had no issues. Um, that would be, it would be, it would be uh, shocking to hear about something like this. But then on the other hand, it's like, if none of this is true, then that means that people are just painting him in a light that um, is very damaging to his, to his reputation. And, you know, they're framing him for something that he didn't necessarily do. So it's a disturbing situation on either front. Um, obviously, we got to wait to see how it plays out. He's denied it up to this point. Um, I think we all understand that the timing uh, of this is uh, um, a little bit it's, suspect. It's but, peculiar. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, yeah it's peculiar. Um, sometimes this stuff happens at, at bad times. Um, yeah, sometimes they come to light because of the circumstances you're in. Like, it doesn't right. mean that they're not true. Right, exactly. It is interesting. You know, Um so like you said, maybe that, maybe because he's, I mean, now, I mean, he's been a great player for a while, but because he's yeah. been on the news, you know, consistently for other reasons, like, you know, maybe that gave people reasons to be like, oh, I got to speak up on something. But, um, you know, it's an interesting, it, obviously it's an interesting situation and we'll see how, we'll see how it ultimately plays out. But in terms of what the NFL should do, I would hesitate it's tough because because there's just because there's so much going there's so there's so like i agree that like once you get to a certain number like there there is a part of you that does say like you have to do something like you can't because unless you're saying you, you don't believe these people then you have to do something and but like there like the fact that you have this one lawyer representing all these different people um he's being very public about it no criminal charges like there are also aspects of this where i say let's let the facts play themselves out before we um before we uh you know you know bury the guy you know <laughs> why well, I, I agree with that but i guess that's why i i, I, I totally agree with that. maybe there's think, an exemplar like you said maybe there's something like i said i think there's gotta be some middle ground there's gotta be some and I think to me, I think there's just to me a perception that the NFL is just like not doing anything. They're just like, oh, we're just gonna have to just wait for this joint to play out. And it's like, 
I mean, these are very serious allegations, and like y'all ain't do nothing. Like y'all, like, like, like let's I mean, think maybe like, I guess, maybe I guess you can't, you really can't stuff when it's a legal issue. But I mean, there there have been times where they've been they've been working in conjunction with like law enforcement on stuff. Like I can't remember, wasn't there a recent case where somehow they knew like whatever law enforcement or the legal system knew? Like it was something recently. Elliot, maybe it was Zeke. I remember there was something that they were monitoring very close, and they were like on it as they were really on it. And I was like, "Oh wow, I they knew stuff before the public knew stuff." Like, and uh, to me, it just it the perception is that they're not doing that with this case. Well, they're so just, the issue they is that, that the, about that, but it's not a criminal case. Law enforcement, as far as we know, have denied that they are even. Yeah, yeah. they said they haven't been contacted, which is weird no. because the lawyers now, saying that they did contact them. Right, exactly. Which is why, again, this is all it's all weird. It's situation. very weird. Yes, like. But like it's hard for the NFL to do anything when Houston, when, when the Houston PD isn't really even claim when they claim they're not doing anything either. Like, but I mean, look, I mean, right now again, this is different than say uh, an Ezekiel Elliott situation where like the NFL, I mean, it took a long time to do anything with Ezekiel Elliott, but like I feel like that situation had played itself out. We, we all the facts have been out there. You know, at that point, you got to make a choice, and they they still took a long time. You know, and then you got like Ben Roethlisberger. That was a long time ago. So I don't remember all of the facts of that, but like I feel like that was I wouldn't say it was more serious, but like, I feel like that had reached levels where we had heard like the process had played itself out much more by the time we got to any decisions on what happened with Ben Roethlisberger. And maybe you say they they took it was too slow. And I, but, think the, I think the difference, but I still think the difference with both is, you know, Ezekiel not a criminal case. You know, Ben was right. So again, I think there's that ability to there's that ability to work with law enforcement that I think probably if they do everything right allows them to maybe act more swiftly than like this situation, which is again a civil situation where. You're not really working with law enforcement. You're working with the court system. The court system doesn't tell you really anything. That's that's how they work. So like, I guess that's why. But again, I I don't know. It's just tough. It's just a tough situation. Um, again, I agree with you. Well, either way it goes, it's very. I don't disturbing. like seeing. What I, I'll be honest. Like I I don't know. I don't know what happened. I have zero idea what happened. But I will say that I don't like seeing one. I don't like seeing you know over fifteen people. You know, I don't like seeing over. I don't like seeing one person, but I, like, I certainly don't like seeing over fifteen people. But on the other side, I also don't like seeing a lawyer who's like who has on his social media like the Texans, like his neighbor is was Bob McNair, and that he, the Texans need to draft Johnny Manziel. I'm not saying that that means that the lawyer is is compromised in any way, but it, it, you know, you got it makes you ask you makes you ask these questions. You know, he claims it's not motivated by any fandom of anything or anything. But, you know, I mean, this guy is a Texans fan. I don't know. Yes, that's the that's what best thing we can say about this, Kendall, is I don't know. All I know, all I know is we yeah. always got to protect the right for women to speak out against, you know, against people who are abusive or whatever. We got to listen to them. We got to investigate their claims. That All of that is 100% accurate. Um, and the same lies with this case at the same time. It's a lot of weird stuff with it. It just is what it is. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. 
that doesn't take away from the fact that yeah. that doesn't mean we still don't listen to women. We still don't take the allegations seriously. But, you know, if there was an extortion at some point, or as the person said that the lawyer claimed there was a blackmail at some point, okay, that's one of the 15, 16, but it does kind of make you wonder, okay, well, what again, is going on here? This is we, Again, we know Deshaun's been in the news because his unhappiness in Houston. You You really don't want that to have anything to do with any of this. But the nature of all this, and again, no criminal case. You say you went to the police. Police say we got nothing from this guy talking to us about any cases of abuse. So you're not going to the police. None of the people want to go to the police. And all of us should be investigated. But just the way we've been seeing these cases recently, it is peculiar that you also had no women come forward publicly. And I know that sounds, and that, does, again, does not mean it's not true. But I'm only speaking to just the Me Too movement. And so much of it has been putting faces onto the victims of these people and letting people see that these are real people whose lives were terrorized and ruined. And not to say that that doesn't mean, of course, there are plenty of cases where we never hear about them ever. They don't even bring allegations. Um, and it doesn't mean there aren't thousands and millions of cases even where people just are Jane Doe's and they just do their allegation and that's it. But... And it's early. I mean, we could at this rate, someone tomorrow could come publicly. I mean, they could be coming publicly as I speak right now. That's how crazy this has been. It's really has come, and this the, this has just been like a just a, a snowball with this with this whole Watson situation. But I mean, sixteen women, none of them come out. They all go the civil s- lawsuit route. We don't know who they are. It's interesting. Um, it's, it's not to say that doesn't mean it's not true. I'm not saying that at all. It's just not what we've seen recently. And all of it's very, it's very weird. And again, like you said, both ways, it's going to be bizarre. One, it's going to be rather just a, a, just a disturbing one way or another. Either Sean Watson is engaged in some like Bill Cosby light esque work that's really would 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 garner. I mean, will garner probably. You know, criminal investigation, but then obviously going on a massive suspension from the league. Or this is a really, really terrible, you know, attempt to, you know, destroy this guy's reputation. Likely, and, I mean, again, the motivations can be debated, but the motivations can be debated, but I mean, seems because it is odd. <laughs> the guy wants to leave the city and now. This is what comes up. And if it's not true, if we find that out, if we're able to really legal our way out of this in that way where it becomes very crystal clear, oh, man. Then the other guy, then I'm looking at that lawyer. I mean, then he's looking at prison time. <laughs> 100%. So that's so, what I'm saying. This is very somebody, somebody is going to prison, probably. <laughs> One of you I, couldn't, I could not tell you who it's going to be. but As Carter would say. Um, but it's, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> somebody's going to jail. <laughs> Chris Carter. I know it's not. It's not a funny situation, but that's a funny yeah. line there. Um, yeah, this is this is just crazy. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know what to make of any of this, other than like I said before, we need to investigate. Got to let it play out, and 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 we got to listen to make sure uh, the women are heard, and that we we protect everyone's you know right to a fair trial and fair hearing of their case. It's really plain and simple. Again, the only thing I will say is I feel like the NFL is just being like, ah, well, we're just going to sit on the sidelines on this. 
The NFL's got to be careful. You, you just can't do that. You're, you're one careful. of most, your most re- recognized superstar players is involved in like this, and you're just like... Part of me, and maybe this is bad, so, but part of me feels like them being so hands-off makes me think that they don't think that this is legit. That's that's that's, how, that's my that's feeling. I'm not saying that they're right. right. I don't even know. If they, I don't. I don't trust their instincts. Let me make that clear to the audience. I'm not saying that they're right that they that that it isn't legit. I'm saying that them not doing anything makes me feel like this will play itself out and this will handle itself. NFL, I guess the other problem is that the NFL. I, I mean, I, you can argue yes, they probably should do something. I don't know, but then at the other, the, the other part of it is that you've got one of the premier. Let's be honest, you know, let's be honest. Here, you have one of the premier black quarterbacks in the league. Um, you know, we, you don't want to, you, you don't want to jump the gun too early. You know, um, obviously you don't want to be too late, but. Um, I guess they're saying we gotta we gotta let the situation play out, um, because you know if we fall we falsely accuse him of something he didn't do, and we didn't even you know investigate the situation, uh, and we're putting him on on you know exemplus and things of that nature. Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do anything, but um, you know I I just think that they don't want they they don't want to. I don't want to say overreact, but like, you know, I don't know. It's just it's it's, it, it is a it is a legal tightrope. I totally get that. I just think the only problem, you know, the only problem is that Goodell has already shown that he doesn't care about legal tightropes. That's the he set a precedent that he can't live up to because he's been willing to just throw the hammer at guys before investigations on allegations. I saw him just throw the book at people for years. And it was under this idea of no tolerance and cleaning up the league. So did they throw the? But the problem is that the optics of them, like they didn't throw the book. They took a long time to throw the book at Ben Roethlisberger, and <laughs> you already didn't really throw the book at him. But like they let that situation play out. So then, if you start like before anything even happens, obviously we've already mentioned some suspicious stuff happening with this Watson situation. It, it's going to look like there's a double standard in how Roethlisberger was treated compared to Watson. I don't know. You know, so I am not saying that you should always handle the situation how you handled it with Ben Rosberg 15 years ago, but, um, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that. I just feel like, I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like it's just, it's, it's crazy to me that you, that, that, again, superstar quarterback. Had 16 women coming out with allegations of misconduct, and oh, now they're saying it's 24 accusers. See, this is getting crazy. I, I literally can't keep up with the number. Yeah, the, the lawyer said that at the time they had 14 filed, and he said that he had 10 more that were in the process. So now it's 16 filed. Yeah, 16 are filed. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think you can just not do anything. I just don't think that's. I don't know what the I can't tell you the perfect answer. Again, my answer would say I think he probably put him on the exemplars and say, "Yo, dog, like you, just, we can't have you showing up to the facility and practice and stuff like it's normal." Like I know you're not in practice, but you know you could work out on I your mean, own time. Away from the team, and he ain't, he ain't showing he, up. He ain't showing up anyway. But I think you gotta show the people and the, the women in the country that you, you doing you doing something. I don't I don't think you can do nothing. That's that's my point. What the right answer is, I I, I can't say for sure. 
But because if it's true and you just had him just out here again, he's not going to the facility or anything. But I, I think that that would be a problem. I, I think that that would be a problem. And we're not that far away from minicamp. Drafts right around the corner. You got rookie camp, and then you got minicamp probably around May, late May, early June. It's not that it, it sounds far. It's not that far. And this is not going to be something that's going to be settled in a day or even a couple of weeks. And he don't seem like he's ready to settle. But he, he don't, you, you don't hire Rusty Carden to settle this. You hire him because you're going to fight. So if that's really what we're going with here, this ain't going to be settled by the time Minicamp shows up. He's showing up to Minicamp. And if he doesn't, is he still getting paid? Like I, I, it's, it's a very, 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 very touchy situation going on in Houston. Um, that's going to do it for this extra long edition of New Generation Sports Talk. So if you didn't get enough of us last week, you got plenty of us. This week, of course, you can catch all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Make sure you catch our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. For those who are usually expecting to hear Hero Talk at this time, we we're going to do Hero Talk tomorrow. We want to make sure we got this out because we didn't do anything in the tournament last week. Uh, we'll have Hero Talk tomorrow. And for the people who watch us on YouTube, New Generation Media, that's where we'll have our Falcon and Winter Soldier episode recaps. The first episode recap is up. So make sure you check that out. Once again, our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. You can find us at youtube.com slash newgenerationmedia. Check all that out. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, and Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow me on Twitter and uh, Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, Instagram, Action EJ. Ken let me find on Twitter at New Gen Ken. Thank you guys so much for checking this out. For, for Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.